ringside, by golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Sully, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon, along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, another outstanding card. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. That's right, we are back, and as always, it's 100% territory talk, and I am your host, Ray Russell. Been having a blast, guys, here. Thus far on the show, we've started the 1986 in the Mid-South, the UWF Project, along with guest co-host Roman Gomez, and it's been a great time. You can expect more from Roman and the Mid-South 86 Project very soon here on Regional Wrestling. We're getting our schedule synced up, me and Roman are, to put a bunch of episodes in the bag for release here very soon on the show. And up next on the Mid-South 86 Project, we're going to talk more about the Dick Slater-Jake the Snake Roberts feud. It continues on in the month of January as TV champion Jake Roberts comes for Dick Slater's North American title, and vice versa. Plus, Dark Journey gets a little too close to the snake and suffers the DDT. All of that, and Jim Duggan returns from Japan. Lord Humongous goes into early retirement. We'll be discussing all of that and so much more next time on the UWF Project. But for now, we crack open a new book this week. That's right. We add another project to regional wrestling, and it has received nothing but positive feedback on social media, so I am so excited, and I appreciate your guys' support more than you could possibly know. And that's why this week, We add this new project. It's Georgia Championship Wrestling 1981. And we're going to do a deep dive back into the year of 1981 in GCW. I'm talking Gordon Soley, the fabulous Freebirds, Dusty Roll, the Mac and Dream, Ole and Gene, and even Lars Anderson, Kevin Sullivan, Mr. USA, Tony Atlas, Universal Heartthrob, Austin Idol Darlin, Mr. Wrestling 2, The Mask Superstar, Ken Patera, Nature Boy Ric Flair, Bullet Bob Armstrong, Superfly Snooka, the Mongolian Stomper, Ted DiBiase, Robert Fuller, Stan Hansen, Harley Race, Andre the Giant, the Junkyard Dog, somebody say something about Wildfire Tommy Rich, the list goes on and on. And much like Roman co-hosting the Mid-South Project, I'm happy to announce we have a special guest co-host lined up to join us here for our journey to Georgia in 1981. You may have heard him on the Stick to Wrestling podcast with John McAdam. He's one of the OG tape traders from way back. I'm talking pre-internet days, guys. And longtime smart fan, our guest today will be Jamie Ward. Jamie going to join the show here in just a few minutes. But first, a friendly reminder, you guys can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, along with sister shows like the Wrestling Memory Grenade, where we're in the middle of our 1987 WWF project over there, now heading into the month of June 87, talking the Sheik and Duggan arrest debacle, the Islanders turn heel and join the Heenan family, there's dissension in the Morocco and Orton camp, the Rockers arrive in the WWF and then depart, Jimmy Jack Funk goes messing with Haku, and boy does he find out. Let's just say somebody comes out of that fight with one less eyeball. And it ain't Haku. Also, I discuss newcomers like the one-man gang, Rick Rude, the Ultimate Warrior, Ted DiBiase, and more. All of that 
on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. You can also listen to my podcast, Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. It's Raw versus Nitro, as we break down the weekly Monday Night War by taking a look at both what was going on in the ring, as well as behind the scenes. And yes, we even dive into those pesky TV ratings. A new season of Monday Warfare dropping this week with July 1st, 1996, as WCW Nitro has just began their reign of 83 weeks on top. And we're just six days away from the infamous 1996 Bash at the Beach pay-per-view, where we see the inception of the NWO. Meanwhile, over on Raw, there's drama with the Ultimate Warrior. Go figure. Plus, the Rockers explode. Again! Sonny will get slopped. Keep your jokes to yourself, guys. And the WWF tries their hand at a lesbian storyline between Marlena and Sable. All of that and so much more as we head into the upcoming In Your House International Incident pay-per-view. So join me on Monday Warfare as we continue our voyage through the Monday Night War. And you guys can listen to all of those shows and more over at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network located at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and everywhere. Your podcast streaming needs are met from Apple to Spotify, Google, and beyond. And don't forget to follow us on our social media accounts. You can follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like us at Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Follow us on our social media for all the latest goings on at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And I'm constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. And speaking of videos, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel located over at YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade, uploading new footage all the time as I continue to preserve my old VHS collection by converting it all to digital. And last, but certainly not least, now is a great time to become a WrestleCopia patron. And if you guys have a few extra dollars sitting in that PayPal account or a few bucks burning a hole in your pocket, I'd greatly appreciate your support to keep the shows going. You can find us there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Multiple tiers to choose from but I'm just asking you guys to give it a go at that $5 all-access tier. Give it a try. You get multiple gifts for just $5, including all of my insanely detailed show notes for shows like the Wrestling Memory Grenade Monday Warfare and the Regional Wrestling Podcast. Plus, you'll also receive early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia. You can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. Also included on that all-access tier, remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade covering the 1989 NWA project includes enhanced sound quality and new content and conversations originally edited out of the show due to time restraints edited right back in. But that's not all. You'll also receive digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure and of course our Patreon exclusive watch along series covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday night's main events, Clash of the Champions, and so much more. And you get all of that, guys, for the low, low price of just $5. It's early access, insanely detailed show notes for three of our podcast shows, plus the Patreon-exclusive watch-alongs, remastered episodes with new content edited in, digital downloads, and so much more for just $5. No subscription. Cancel anytime. Show your support. Give it a try for a month. And I think you'll like the content we offer. And every penny of it, guys goes right back in to the WrestleCopia podcast network. So please, if you can, help us keep our shows up and running for the months and the years to come. 
And now, with all of that out of the way, it's time to begin our deep dive into the Georgia Territory, circa 1981. By first setting the stage, we're going to go back in time to the latter half of 1980 and take a look at all of the talent, the champions, and the storylines leading into the new year. And as mentioned earlier, I won't be doing this alone, guys. I've got another special co-host lined up for this particular project, and I'm going to bring him on right now. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard him before on the Stick to Wrestling podcast with John McAdam. He's one of the OG, that's original gangsta, tape traders going way back. Long before the internet days, he was trading wrestling tapes way back in the territory days, guys, so he knows his stuff. And if those credentials weren't enough, he's also a dear, close, personal, longtime friend of WrestleCopia's very own Tom Robinson. Shout out to Tom. At this time, let's bring him on, Jamie Ward. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Ray. It's really my honor to be on your show. Well, I have to say thank you for that, but it's my pleasure having you as well, man. Jamie, uh, I mean, Tom talks about you so much. I did all those TR Shocks the World shows with Tom, and he put you over like a million bucks on and off air. So it's honestly my pleasure to have you on here. Of course, you've been around the wrestling world for decades. I'm not trying to make you sound old, but it's just a fact. Yeah, it, I've been uh, what they call, I guess, the smart fan generation since 1982. Yeah, you were one of the OG, not just OG, not just tape traders, but one of the original smart fans as well. Yeah, you got a good point there. Back to the newsletter days. Um, yeah, the fanzines, got, if you will. Got the Observer starting back in 1982. and uh, Did you get the Terry Justice newsletters at all? Terry had passed away before I got his. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, they're out there now for those interested. Lots of great information there. In fact, I, I use quite a bit of it here, I'm not going to lie, to uh, take some notes for some of these Georgia Championship Wrestling TV episodes we're going to be discussing that, that don't seem to be out there in full form here early on in the uh, year of 1981. Yeah, 81 was an interesting year, and it is tough finding information in the beginning of 81, so you have to use any kind of resource that you can get your hands on. So in order to get to 81, of course, if anybody's a fan of my shows, both the Grenade and Regional Wrestling, you guys know I like to do something called Setting the Stage, Jamie, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, too. In order to get to 1981, we're going to take a look at the tail end of 1980 first. We're going to go back at least to, to the fall of 1980 and look at all the goings-on inside Georgia Championship Wrestling. If you're okay with that, Jamie, we're going to get going here. Sounds good to me. All right, and so just some basic notes to get things started for those unfamiliar with the Georgia Championship Wrestling territory. Some of the promoters in the recent years heading into the 80s, the main promoter being at this point Jim Barnett, 56 years old here at the end of 80. Barnett left the States for Australia, creating the extremely popular World Championship Wrestling promotion back in 1964. Returned to the States, though, to help out in the Georgia Wars back in 1973 to help push Ann Gunkel and company out of business. So Jim Barnett, one of the major shareholders here in the GCW territory, as well as Fred Ward, who is now, I believe, around 66 years old. Fred Ward lived until all the way into the early 1990s. Uh, he always promoted the cities of Macon and Columbus, Georgia. Columbus, a big area here. It's part of the Georgia territory. And Fred Ward was a promoter here from the 50s all the way into the 1980s. So he had longstanding ground as part of GCW, as well did Paul Jones. And no, I'm not talking about the wrestler, guys. Paul Jones was 80 years old, believe it or not, Jamie, going into 1981, born in 1901, and he'll pass away in 1988. But Paul Jones, aiding and promoting the Atlanta region, going all the way back to 1944, and he'll remain promoter here until he sells his shares to Vince McMahon in 1984. 
So 40 years, Paul Jones, a promoter here in the Georgia Territory. And last but certainly not least, Ole Anderson holding at least 10% of the bag here going into the 1980s as far as stock goes here in Georgia Championship Wrestling. Yeah, Paul Jones, a historical run going 40 years. Not many promoters were able to uh, reach that level. And, of course, Fred Ward, no relation to mine, but uh, (laughs) very important to the uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling as he also had his own television show every Saturday out of Columbus that was taped after the TBS show each weekend. That's right. And if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong here. I believe that had something to do with they weren't they weren't doing tapes yet back in in those days. And that's why Fred Ward, they, they didn't have time to kind of bicycle things around at that time. And Fred Ward kind of had his own live version of the shows, his own championships at one point down there in the Columbus area. Right. Also, we'll be seeing some familiar faces. Some of you guys may have heard of names like Scrappy McGowan as far as referees go. We'll also see Ron West, who played a big part throughout the territory era as one of the top referees. He also may have loaned Ron Fuller a little money to get him going there, down there in the uh, Southeastern Territory. Not sure if that's true or not, but that's the story Ron Fuller tells. Ron West, a very prominent referee, Scrappy McGowan, like I said. We'll even see a very young Nick Patrick cutting his teeth here. Nick Patrick, actually Nick Hamilton, the son of Jody Hamilton, one of the assassins. So while the assassins here, we'll see Nick Patrick here in the Territory as well, acting as a very young referee. I, I think this is before Nick even tries to cut his teeth as a wrestler there for a little bit. Right, and you can tell he can't be much more than 18 or 19 here. Yeah, very young Nick Patrick who would go on. Yes, guys, that Nick Patrick from the Monday Night War era and beyond, uh, one of the the NWO referee, I do believe, for those who are a little younger and don't really know this era, I guess is the way I could uh, explain who he is to you. Yeah, he was the NWO uh, referee. So Nick Patrick was around for a very long time as a top official, but here, like you said, can't be more than 18 or 19 years old. So really fun seeing him out there calling some of these matches. And just so you guys have an idea of where we're at, where Georgia championship wrestling is here in the early 1980s, it was the fall of 1979. GCW was the first wrestling TV show to be broadcast nationally on cable and now hosted by Gordon solely on Saturday nights at six Oh five Turner time, Jamie on the super station WTBS, the flagship station, of a young media mogul by the name of Ted Turner. And the show heavily promoted the upcoming live events of the Atlanta Omni by this point, but before that, it was also the Old City Auditorium there in Atlanta where they wrestled. But while Atlanta was the main focus of the promotion, shows were run weekly and sometimes two to three weeks apart in places like Augusta, Albany, and Columbus, Georgia. Shows would also take place in smaller towns on the outskirts of Atlanta, such as Carrollton, Conyers, Gainesville, several other places, But beginning in 1980 here, GCW expanded into a two-hour broadcast. On Saturday night, the TV program would recap all the angles and matches from the previous Omni show and start new angles on the TV program as well. Now, matches were taped at the studio on Techwood Drive. Have you ever been there, Jamie? Unfortunately, I never made it to Techwood Drive. I once uh, had an invitation to actually appear on World Championship Wrestling, but... Unfortunately, that didn't materialize. Wow. You want to elaborate? We'll on get that? into that. Okay. We'll get into that down the line. I'm going to make a bit earmark on that. We're going, to, we're going to come back to that. Sounds good. So Gordon Soley would uh, host the Georgia Championship Wrestling Program, conduct the interviews at a podium near ringside, and the match-to-interview ratio here in Georgia was a little different than what you might see in the WWF. There were a lot of promos here in GCW, and, and uh, don't groan, guys. It's not 2000s, 2010-type promos. These were really good promos. These guys had to talk you in to buying tickets to come see them because that's how they made their money back then. Yeah, it was basically set up as 
you had a promo, a match, and then a promo. And sometimes it was the same person doing the promo before and after the match. Yeah, and it, was, it wasn't unusual that you would get a promo, a match, a promo, a commercial break, and then another promo. So it was promo heavy, but in a good way. I really enjoyed that. I mean, you really, I think, speaking for myself, I think I enjoyed Georgia promos more than I did the squash matches. Yes, their squash matches were slightly more competitive than what you had would have seen in, say, say the WWF, which was completely squash. The uh, undercard guy usually got a little bit of offense in, but it was the interviews that uh, basically captivated you. And not so much just generic interviews like Ole Anderson saying he's going to kill Dusty Rhodes. It was Ole Anderson was going to kill Dusty Rhodes in the Omni, Columbus, Georgia, Macon, Georgia, Columbus, Ohio, uh, Saginaw, Michigan. Just hearing all the towns used to kind of get me all pumped up and really wish that I lived down there and I could see all this stuff. Yeah, calling out the names of the towns. I got this guy in Marietta. I got this guy at the Omni in Atlanta. I mean, exactly. it made you, whether you were from Marietta, where you were from Atlanta or, or anywhere in between, it made it personal to you. They were talking directly to you. They were talking about that show that you're going to in your hometown. And it just drew me. Like, I, I wish, I, like you said, I wish I'd been down there. I wish I was old enough to, to have uh, even been part of these shows. Uh, but uh, damn, man, it's just really cool. Even to the, today, watching these shows going back now and watching them talk about the upcoming matches at the uh, specific cities and these specific buildings, it just, I could just see that really drawing the fans in. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I used to beg my dad to take me to the Philadelphia Spectrum. But if I had lived in one of these towns that had the weekly or biweekly shows, I would have been begging him to take me every single week. And that's another thing. A lot of these territories like Georgia, like Florida, like Memphis, they ran the same towns a lot of the times every week, every couple weeks. And so they had to keep things hot constantly there on their TV programming. Yeah, there was a lot of hot shotting going on on those shows to to keep the interest with the crowds. And a lot of those smaller towns also ran their own angles. Right. Some of the guys appeared in, in different towns and thus they had their own angles with some of the other talent that maybe we didn't see so much on TV, but if you were coming to the shows every week or every couple of weeks, you were kind of following along. Right. And I used to love reading the results for the Georgia cards, say in the after magazines or wrestling world or the, the Kitesur magazines and just envisioning being there watching these matches live. Now I don't want to jump ahead, but I do want to point out by 1982 here, Georgia was promoting several shows outside of the state of Georgia Due to the exposure of WTBS, the cable channel, cards were promoted in places like Michigan, Ohio, West Virginia, Pittsburgh, and Pennsylvania. Many of the smaller Georgia cities no longer having live cards because they were expanding out into bigger cities and other states. Yeah, I remember when uh, they ran Altoona, Pennsylvania, which is about 45 minutes outside of Pittsburgh and about a three-hour ride for me. And I tried to talk my dad into either letting me drive myself or him drive me out, but he wouldn't go for it to go that long for wrestling. Yeah, and a lot of people who don't know a whole lot about the, the territory era of professional wrestling, they don't realize that because of that WTBS on satellite and on cable, that Ole and company, they were trying to make a little bit of an expansion here. Maybe not take over the world just yet like Vince McMahon, but... They certainly had some feelers out there running in places like Chattanooga. They even sent some talent out to uh, San Francisco to try and uh, bump up some shows with Roy Shire here. So it's really interesting what they were trying to do here in the early 80s 
taking advantage of that WTBS channel. And a lot of people ask me, what is my first memories of wrestling? And being up here in Ohio and being just after the Sheik ran his territory out of business, or depends on who you ask, uh, my answer is the first memories of people, maybe not angles, but the first memory of the people I saw on TV were guys like Wildfire Tommy Rich. And the reason being, Georgia began running the Cleveland, the Toledo, the Columbus area. Right, exactly. So that was that became your hometown promotion where, I again, I had the WWF. You had Georgia coming in, and which is one of the name, reasons they changed their name to World Championship Wrestling down the line was because they were expanding out of the Georgia area. Right, and it's a very good segue here because it is still Georgia Championship Wrestling. The TV program, I mean, is still referred to as Georgia Championship Wrestling here in 1981. The program name won't actually change to World Championship Wrestling until next year in 1982. But that's a very good point. They're expanding. They're, they're going a little more national to some degree. And so they're not just for Georgia anymore. And, and that's a very good point why they changed the name of their television program from GCW to World Championship Wrestling. And again, they're airing everywhere, so it makes sense. Right. And at this point, and as those that are going to follow along with this podcast are going to realize, is that Jim Barnett and Vince McMahon Sr. had a very good relationship. And you're going to see um, a decent amount of Georgia guys starting in 1979 and 80 appearing at Madison Square Garden once a month. Yeah, absolutely. You're also going to see uh, Vince Sr. having no problem working with Barnett, bringing Andre down here. In fact, Andre works something like 11 times in the month of February upcoming here in 1981, which was unheard of for any territory at this point in time, maybe outside of Japan, Andre working that many dates in one territory in such a short period of time. Yeah, and you'll see other WWF guys come in and out during the course of the year, usually for one shots at the Omni. Yeah, and we're going to get into one of those names here in just a little bit. Uh, but for right now, Jamie, if you don't mind, I want to look at some of the titles here in Georgia Championship Wrestling, some of the recent champions, and get everybody an idea of where we are heading into 1981 as far as the GCW titles and the champions who hold those belts right now. Okay, let's do it. All right, so first we're going to kick off with a uh, well, I want, I want a relatively unimportant title to the organization here. And what I'm talking about is the Georgia Junior Heavyweight Championship. Recent champions saw Kevin Sullivan win a tournament back in June of 1980, defeating Eddie Mansfield in the finals. And then Stan Lang captures the title in September of 1980. Stan Lang going to hold that belt all the way through December 5th of 1980 here before Steve O is named the new champion by Gordon Soley on the following episode of TV. December 13th, TV Gordon Soley announcing Stan Lane as the brand new Georgia junior heavyweight champion, implying that he defeated Stan Lane for the title, but Stan Lane actually leaves the company instead. And Steve-O just kind of announced the, the new junior heavyweight champion, though we don't hear a lot about that belt in the first quarter of the year. Yeah, the old phantom title change as, as a term that we hear much later in the wrestling world. We'll move on to the national TV title, the former Georgia TV championship. Terry Taylor wins the belt in August in a round-robin tournament over Bullet Bob Armstrong and Kim Patera. But Terry Funk comes in in the month of October, and the Funker going to take the belt off Terry Taylor before Steve Kern, once again a phantom title switch here, named the TV champion in the month of November, having quote-unquote defeated Terry Funk. In all actuality, Funk gone from the company. Yeah, what's interesting is uh, we mentioned Fred Warden having his own Saturday afternoon TV show. Right. That is where Terry Funk beat Terry Taylor for the uh, Georgia TV or national television title. 
Excellent point to throw in there, Jamie. Really appreciate that because I did not have that in my notes. Terry Funk defeating, what did you say, in Columbus then? In Columbus, yes. It okay, was Terry- uh, actually aired on, they did show the match on TBS like a week later. So Terry Funk defeats Terry Taylor on Columbus. We see the match aired on TBS the following week. But unfortunately, Funk is not long for the Georgia Territory. And Steve Kern named the champion in November, having beaten Terry Funk, one of those phantom matches. But it doesn't take long for Kevin Sullivan. We're going to talk more about his heel turn coming up here on this episode. But Kevin Sullivan defeating his former friend Steve Kern for that title belt on November 29th, 1980. And we head into the new year. Kevin Sullivan is the national TV champion. And we move on here. We're going to take a look at a pair of tag team titles, guys. First, the Georgia Tag Team Championship held by the Assassins in the early part of the summer of 1980 until they were defeated by the team of Mr. Wrestling's number one and number two in September before the Freebirds arrive, win those Georgia Tag Team titles at the October 10th Omni card in Atlanta in a three-way match. All three teams involved in the matchup, the Freebirds showed up unannounced for the match, throwing themselves in, inserting themselves into the matchup, defeating both the Assassins and Mr. Wrestling's one and two, the Freebirds, the brand new Georgia Tag Team Champions in October. But the title winds up being held up on November 14th, 1980, after a matchup against Austin Idol and Kevin Sullivan. Those titles essentially become vacated here because they create new tag team titles instead. The National Tag Team Championship, again, they're trying to go national. Georgia, more regional sounding, so National Tag Team Titles replace the Georgia titles with a tournament to be held Thanksgiving night, November 27th at the Omni, Jamie. Georgia Championship Wrestling's annual uh, Thanksgiving night tag team tournament, and they throw the national tag team titles in as the the prize for winning the tournament. Yeah, an extra incentive this year, becoming the tag team champions. So the national tag team titles, the, the, the first ever national tag team champions, are crowned November 27th, 1980, and it is the last Georgia tag team champions. It's the fabulous Freebirds winning the tournament finals over the brand-new tag team of Robert Fuller and Stan Frazier. What an odd pairing there for Georgia, huh? Philadelphia's own Stan Frazier, but not that Philadelphia. (laughs) Not that Philadelphia. (laughs) So all of this after coming off their hot feud with Junkyard Dog in the Mid-South earlier in 1980, the Freebirds are flying high, I'd have to say. Pun intended, of course. Uh, Yes, they were. I mean, they... They were Georgia Championship Wrestling TV show from the time that they arrived that last week of September. It just seemed like every show was based around the Freebirds. You got that right. Tons of uh, Freebird footage out there for these this era on Georgia Championship Wrestling, and I ain't complaining. It's all over YouTube, and I, I happen to have it myself on tape. So really cool. If you guys want, it's definitely worth checking out. I posted a couple things, including the Freebirds debut interview uh, we're going to play that for you guys later here in the program, so you don't need to jump to YouTube just yet to check that out. But uh, I do want to keep going on. We're going to keep talking about these titles. We've got so much to talk about before we get to 1981 here, and I'm going to try to get it all in if we can. So let's continue on talking about the titles for now. We know Kevin Sullivan is the brand-new national TV champion. We know the Birds are the national tag team champions, but we still have the Georgia heavyweight title here in Georgia Championship Wrestling. In the summer of 80, it was Steve Kern winning the championship in August before losing the belt to Dennis Condry. There's an interesting name. Dennis Condry winning the Georgia title in September, but it's Tony Atlas who is the champion walking into 1981. He wins that belt from Condry all the way back on October 24th. Tony Atlas, Georgia heavyweight champion. Yeah, you had two kind of unimpressive 
Georgia champions in a row with Curry yeah. and Condry. But now with Atlas, that takes the title to the uh, the next level because he's just coming off of that Mr. USA contest during that uh, summertime where he took a kind of a hiatus from wrestling. Uh, they did some vignettes with him during that summer, but he comes back in October and they put the belt on Tony Atlas. Yeah, and uh, no disrespect to Kern or Condry, but it definitely felt like a downtime as far as the the Georgia title was concerned there uh, going into the su- the summer, going into the fall between Kern and Condry. Some interesting choices, I have to say. I mean, I actually thought Gordon put Kern over bigger as the national TV champion than he did when he had the Georgia belt. And so, Condry was just kind of an afterthought. Yeah, it's just uh, really odd. They, they had to get the belt on a heel, it seemed like, almost a transitional champion of sorts because they knew Tony right. Atlas was coming back and they needed to get the belt on him, and Condry was who they chose. just seemed really odd. Like, when you think of Georgia champions, Dennis Condry's just not on that list. He's a hell of a tag team, uh, you know, whether it was with Phil Hickerson or certainly with Bobby Eaton here in the 80s, but it just seemed odd. Dennis Condry, the Georgia heavyweight champion, for a brief spell here in the fall of 1980 anyway. Right. It was like, we don't have anybody else to put it on. Let's just put it on him, get a little bit of mileage out of it, and move on. So we vacate the Georgia Tag Team titles and create the national tag team titles. But for a while here, we're going to have two heavyweight championships. Not only is there a Georgia champion in Tony Atlas, but they've also created a brand new national heavyweight title. And much like the national tag team titles, recently created here in 1980. Now, Jack Briscoe defeats Terry Funk on October 9th in a tournament final to win the title. Though in some places I have seen it cited that Austin Idol was actually the first national heavyweight champion earlier here in 1980, though Idol disappears, shocker, one of many times, and the belt is dropped for several months before coming back here in October. I remember, you know, back at the time reading in one of the magazines that he was the national champion, but much like you said, there was never a follow up on it. They never announced that he lost the belt. And then it was just kind of resurrected again in, what was it, September with uh, Briscoe winning that uh, little mini tournament that they had. And with Briscoe in there, it just continues the Florida championship wrestling influence that was the summer and fall of 1980. Right. And and not only that, when you look at this here, this national heavyweight title, the, the tournament finals, look at the names involved. Two former NWA World Heavyweight Champions. So you're trying to establish this belt as something very important. Jack Briscoe defeating Terry Funk on October 9th, becoming the inaugural champion here, at least if we pretend like the the Austin Idol thing didn't happen. So Briscoe goes on, though, to lose the belt on December 12th to the Mongolian Stomper, who will be the champion headed into 1981. And, of course, Stomper, a longtime top draw for Ron Fuller's old Knoxville territory. So... He's brought in here to headline, thanks to the new booker, Robert Fuller. And boy, did he get a monster push. He certainly did, coming into the uh, territory. And they stay tried and true. We see a few guys coming in here, and we'll get into them in a little bit. They're clearly just obviously some of Fuller's favorites that they use down in Knoxville and, and, and even in Alabama. Right. And there's another often forgotten title. I don't know how long it lasted, perhaps just for one day. I'm not really sure. But I, I should note that on the November 22nd edition, of Georgia Championship Wrestling, Judy Martin defeats Winona Littleheart for the United States ladies title. So somewhere in there, Judy Martin may still be the U.S. ladies champion down in Georgia. Yeah, that's something they just throw in there to, to give it a little little of importance. So was that like Abe Jacobs be, being the uh, the Jewish heavyweight champion then? 
Or Mike Jackson being the Alabama junior heavyweight champion. Right along the same lines. I don't think he ever lost it. That's one. See, <laughs> so you can do it the Mike Jackson way, or you can do it the Jerry Lawler way. Uh, that's true. And lose it 500 times. Correct. Perhaps. All right. So we know our champions walking into the new year. Now let's go back and tell the story of everything that was coming together to create what we're going to see heading into the new year. And we're going to go back. Let's go back to, say, September of 1980 here and take a look at the roster and how it changes over the next couple months heading into 1981. Let's look at some of the baby faces here. Back in September of 1980, we had Terry Taylor, a very young Terry Taylor, Steve O, that's Steve Olsonowski, King Cobra was here, Steve Kern, Lars Anderson was working babyface, Kevin Sullivan, yes, he was a good guy, guys, Big Red was in town, as was Chief Jay Strongbow. He did indeed work other places than the World Wrestling Federation. Also, Bullet Bob Armstrong, Mr. Wrestling's one and two, Tim Woods was back for one final run at the gold here. In 1980, and over on the heel side, names like Killer Khan, the Assassins, Jody Hamilton, and Randy Colley, the future Moondog Rex, acting as Assassin number two here for this run. Also, we talked about Dennis Condry, as well as a fellow by the name of Stanley Lane. Look at that. Who they did bill as Nature Boy Stanley Lane. That's right, Nature Boy Stanley Lane. But I look at those names, they sound very familiar. Dennis Condry and Stan Lane, both in the territory here. In the fall of 1980, both would go on to become members of the Midnight Express partners with beautiful Bobby Eaton. So I just found that comical that both guys were in here at the same time. And I even seen them team up, which was even more fun. Yes, they did. Also here in September, the likes of Baron Von Roschke, Mr. Saito, Oli, and Gene Anderson. And speaking of the Andersons, Jamie, we're coming off that big turn of 1980. It was huge. It was brilliant. I, I don't know if it was... I never did hear whether... It was Oli's idea or Dusty's idea, but it it was perfect. And the, all the little nuances throughout the whole thing, especially after Oli turns on Dusty, saying about how he had to fake being friends with Tony Atlas <laughs> and going out to bars and having dinner. Uh, it, it, it was great. One of the most entertaining angles I think I've ever seen. And, of course, I didn't see it until after five years after it happened, but it was still one of the greatest ones I've ever seen. And um, I, I don't want anybody to shoot me when I say this, but I really likened this to the Hogan and Andre story at WrestleMania three. And I, I don't mean the story was the same, not, not, not by any means, but the way they sold it with the other wrestlers involved. You know, when Hogan was going to wrestle Andre, they got word from all these different wrestlers who they thought was going to win. Some of the baby faces were even picking Andre, the heel. They were just being realistic with the outcome. And it kind of felt the same way here, the big turn. And after we get the big turn back in July of 1980, we hear from all these wrestlers on TV. They, they couldn't believe that Ole Anderson turned on Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, I mean, even guys like Mike Davis, who doesn't get to say two words, right. was interviewed on the big turn. So needless to say, it was a hot summer in Georgia between Ole Anderson and Dusty Rhodes, leading to Dusty Rhodes having to don the mask here. At least I think it was Dusty under there as Uvalde Slim, one of his alter egos, teaming up with Cowboy Bill Watts, taking on the team of Ole and Gene Anderson here in September in a loser-leaves-town match in which Gene Anderson takes the fall. Gene Anderson has to leave town, and it isn't too long after this, Dusty Rhodes will return to the Georgia Territory. Right, but one of my, actually, one of my favorite parts of this angle mm -hmm. involves Lars. Because Lars is one of them that goes into the cage to try to save Dusty. Right. And then Georgia championship wrestling officials say that brothers are not allowed to fight. So they 
avoided it for the longest time. And that, and then finally they allowed him to go at it at the Omni and then Lars disappears. Yeah, they go at it uh, pretty hard there really quick. Like you said, they, they spent like July. The late, late September, they kind of yeah. go into the, into that feud after the, the Dusty Valley Slim and Bill Watts walking tall kind of stuff. And <laughs> Bill Watts is always walking tall. I don't, he, he was I don't know what he would have done without that movie. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but yeah, so I totally forgot about that. I didn't put that in my notes when they were pushing off Oli versus Lars for those months while Oli was feuding with Dusty Rhodes. But when that feud finally subsides, there's Lars standing there, and we do get some matches between the two. We get some lights-out matches, some boxing matches, really fun gimmick matches here later in September before, like you said, Lars disappears from the company. Yeah, it's a shame that um, we just never got to see any of them except for little highlights on uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling. And so I talked about a lot of the main baby faces and heels in the company here in September, but also sporadic appearances by the likes of guys like NWA World Junior Champion Les Thornton, Jumping Jim Brunzel coming in, Jerry Roberts, who was also, who, Jamie? Mr. Jacques Rougeau. Thank you. A lot of people didn't know that. Uh, when I was talking to a few people, uh, naming some of the guys that were, I was looking at uh, heading into the new year, and, and I, I included Jerry Roberts in there because he was Jacques Rougeau. And a lot of people, well, who's, I, I know all these other guys, but who's Jerry Roberts? And Jerry Roberts was the name that Jacques Rougeau used working uh, in the States here, at least in this part of the, his career. Right, yeah, because I know he had a run in Georgia, and he, or of course in Georgia. He also had a little run in Florida and uh, Gulf Coast before that disappeared and then fuller bought it so we see all of those names plus wahoo mcdaniel comes in tony atlas begins to make his comeback to the professional wrestling business terry funk runs in and out of here in september lots of the, the enhancement talent at the time the likes of like you said mike davis rocket monroe charlie fulton buck brannigan uh pedro zapata doing the oki shakina gimmick um, some of the other feuds going on in september uh, Lars Anderson working with Masked Superstar. Superstar, and I wouldn't really call it a feud, but they had some matches here. Superstar loses those Loser Leaves Town matches, and he's sent packing from Georgia here, uh, working with Lars Anderson in the month of September. Also, Mr. Wrestling 2 defeats the Masked Superstar in a Loser Leaves Town cage match in the Omni in Atlanta. Yeah, of course, that's so Superstar can go off to uh, have some fun in Japan before he would return. That's right. So as we head out of the month of September, some of the feuds we're looking at for the belts, it's the Georgia Tag Team Champions, the Assassins, feuding with Mr. Wrestling 1 and 2. Obviously, we talked about Ole versus Lars Anderson having some gimmick matches. The Junior junior Heavyweight Champion, Stan Lane, feuding with Kevin Sullivan. Georgia Heavyweight Champion, Steve Kern, feuding with Dennis Condry. Of course, Kern losing the belt to Condry, coming back for some rematches here before Condry drops the belt next month to Tony Atlas. And then it happens, guys. September 27th, mark that date down. It will live in infamy here in 1980, Georgia, WTBS Studios. It's the arrival of the fabulous Freebirds. Let's listen to Gordon Soley as he introduces a new dynamic in tag team wrestling. Fabulous Freebirds, a new dimension in tag team competition in professional wrestling today. Their spokesman is Mr. Michael Hay. That's right. Don't you ever forget fabulous Freebirds. Ladies and gentlemen, you have seen all kind of great tag teams come through your area. And you have always seen two men compromise the tag team. But before your eyes, you do see three. 
and Gordon. Mean all three of you? That's right, all three of us. That means you never know, you can never plan your strategy down the T because there's three of us. It may be Buddy and I wrestling. It may be Terry and I. It may be Terry and Buddy. You never know. So you've always got to be on your toes because you understand we are the hot childs of the city. They do run wild and I do look pretty, baby. Ooh, get a close-up on that face, Gordon. <laughs> I wonder if you'd mind introducing uh, these men. One at a time. Behind me, my big brother, the main man, the stud, 270 pounds of romping, stomping, walking, talking, graveyard destruction. He is the true, the only, the original master of disaster. He is not a drugstore cowboy. He is not an urban cowboy. He is a space cowboy. And beside him, one of our partners and our main man, the man that came in when we needed a helping hand. He's 230 pounds of sizzling stuff, and baby, he don't stop till he gets enough. This is our partner, Buddy. And last but not least, where women would like to feast, me. 240 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal so doggone bad you think I'm unreal. And let me tell you something, I got prettier hair and fairer faucet, more moves than John Travolta. I'm sexier than Marilyn Monroe ever thought she could be. And all this may sound pretty and it may sound sweet, but it goes from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. And the main thing you got to keep in your mind is this, that we are the greatest, the newest, the youngest, and the latest. And we are coming down to Georgia. And when we come to your city, we will get down with our nitty gritty. We've broken attendance records everywhere. We draw more than Bob Seger's ever thought about. Hart, the Commodores, more people seen us. We broke the New Orleans Superdome attendance record, baby. So I want to say this closing remark, Gordon Soley. Everybody out there, you do whatever you want to say and do whatever you feel you must. But when the result ends up, another one bites the dust. The Fabulous Freebirds. With a 10-minute time limit, introducing first from Morristown, Tennessee, at 210 pounds, Tim Horner. His partner returning to Georgia, introducing at 229 pounds, here's Jerry Roberts. Ladies and gentlemen, their opponents represent a new dimension in tag team wrestling, the internationally known, world-renowned, the toast of the coast. Ladies and gentlemen, here are the fabulous Freebirds. So, the fabulous uh, Freebirds... And so there you see, now that is, uh, it's Terry and Buddy wrestling this time. All right, and there it was, Jamie. The fabulous Freebirds have arrived. Michael Hayes, Buddy Roberts, Terry Gordy, now here in Georgia Championship Wrestling, and the territory will never, ever be the same again. Tell me you didn't get chills down your spine. When that music played, they came out, Michael Hayes just started, you know, just oh it was awesome yeah absolutely i, I get excited just sitting here thinking about it right now <laughs> so the freebirds have arrived at the end of september in 1980 they come off that giant giant push in mid-south wrestling and you got to think about their ages here my what is michael hayes can't be much more than 20 years old terry gordy somewhere around there too. i mean these guys are buddy roberts yeah he's the veteran of the group he's essentially done with professional wrestling before he's called back in to become the third member of the Birds to kind of replace Hayes as a wrestler up in Mid-South, and it just works so well. They make so much money up there at the Superdome, Michael Hayes versus the Junkyard Dog, the Blinding Angle, all that stuff, and now they're down here to do it all over again. I don't mean the angle. I just mean they're here to create more box office in Georgia Championship Wrestling. Yeah, and you can thank Bill Watts for that because I'm, you know, Bill, I understand, did have some points still in the uh, Georgia office. You know, you, you might as well keep yeah. the birds in the family. 
No, I agree. And you know what? I, I totally forgot to mention who the bookers were here at this point. It's very prominent and very important because they're going to change in the middle of November and, and things are really going to change around here in the Georgia territory. But at this point, Bill Watts was brought in at the beginning of 1980 to kind of take over the book from Ole Anderson. And Watts was really busy with his own Mid-South wrestling territory as well. So he had Colonel Buck Robley helping him out here with the book throughout most or at least parts of uh, 1980 here. And at this point, I think Bill Watts still had a lot of influence with the booking, which explains why we see the Freebirds. They did everything they could do, at least in the main event scene in the Mid-South. It only seems wise to bring them over to another territory so they can keep making that main event money. Exactly. And the, the way that the birds just are taken even to the next level, I was fortunate enough to see a lot of that uh, free bird stuff with JYD because Mid-South used to air on a, a network called the Satellite Programming Network okay. in 79 and 80. So I got to see most of their act the first time around. Wow. And of course, I didn't get to see this right at this time, but when I start watching later in 81 every single week, as you can tell, I just get excited and lose all my uh, thoughts when I think about the Freebirds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, uh, well, you're going to lose your mind a whole lot here throughout 1981, oh, yeah. that's for sure. And they make their debut. And of course, for those who don't realize, Georgia Championship Wrestling, uh, their format was a two-hour show. And essentially, at the end of the first hour, Georgia would, quote unquote, go off and come back on with the second hour. And so sometimes we'd see some of the wrestlers that we saw wrestle in hour one, they'd wrestle again in hour two. And that's what happens here in the debut of the Fabulous Freebirds. In hour one, it's Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts teaming up, defeating the team of Tim Horner and Jerry Roberts. So the birds come in and right away take out two familiar names, Tim Horner and Jacques Rougeau. And then in hour number two, it's Buddy Roberts and Michael Hayes defeating the team of Mike Davis and Zane Hickey. There's a name right, for the they didn't start off with the uh, Michael Hayes as a sissy. He actually wrestled in the beginning stages of the team. Yeah, and from what I've read, I've I've read this on, on many different accounts now, is Michael Hayes actually came in to Georgia with a, with a neck injury. And so even though they, he didn't wrestle as much as the other two to begin with, uh, he was wrestling even a lot less here as the birds first got going here in Georgia. I always thought he got way too much criticism for not being a good wrestler. To me, it's not whether you have a five-star match or not. To me, it's did you entertain me? And yeah, Michael I, Hayes always entertained me. And there's so much Dallas out there, especially now thanks to the WWE Network, Peacock, all of that out there, the Birds and the Von Erics, uh, that I have to say Michael Hayes wasn't the greatest wrestler, if you want to talk wrestling. Michael Hayes wasn't the greatest bumper, if you want to talk about taking bumps. But he knew where to be and what to do in the ring. And and really that that really made up for a lot of his lack of quote unquote wrestling skills and obviously the charisma the promos uh, really good stuff Michael Hayes was well very well rounded he wasn't uh, anywhere near the greatest wrestler but he had everything else and it certainly made up for it it didn't hurt that he had Gordy you know the big man Gordy out there and Buddy Roberts the bumper uh, it's just a perfect package all three guys together yes they were they were the ultimate team and what what was the term they used uh, in that opening. I know exactly next... what you're referring to. Go, go ahead. You can. Let me pull that up here. We're going to pull that up. We're going to play it back here. Hold on a second. Freebirds, a new dimension in tag team competition in professional wrestling today. There's... There you go. A new dimension. In prof... yeah, a new in dimension tag in tag, team, tag wrestling. team wrestling today. Yes. Gordon Soley could really sell anything, man. You know, it's a, a new dimension in tag team wrestling. Instead of saying it's a three man team. Ah, ah. 
You know, it's, Gordon Sully was great. Yeah, he was. And on more than one occasion when, and I highly advise anybody that can go back and watch anything with Gordon, either on Florida or Georgia, when the wrestlers go off the rails, he's able to pull them right back in. Yeah, Gordon really and knew get back stuff. Right back to the subject on hand. Yeah. And, and I mean, I understand he's an acquired taste for fans of today, but I grew up uh, one of the many name, you know, voices that I heard growing up. And uh, yeah, so I always loved Gordon. He just as a kid, you don't really go. I like this announcer. I don't like that announcer. They just become, you know, the, the voices of your childhood, so to speak. And Gordon was one of them. And, and as, as you get older uh, or as I got older, you begin to appreciate how good he really was outside of just being an announcer. Right. See, I got lucky. I started watching. I didn't get hardcore to watch a wrestling until 78. But I want to say in 74, or 75, Championship Wrestling from Florida aired in Philadelphia. And every now and then I would catch it. So I got a taste of Gordon Soley. And then again in 79 and 80 on that satellite program network that I mentioned, not only were they showing Mid-South, on Sunday nights at 10 o'clock they were showing Championship Wrestling from Florida. So you know, I got my early education with Georgia, I mean, with Gordon, and then get to hear him again when I start watching Georgia Championship Wrestling later in 81. Right. So as we close out the month of September, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling expands into the state of Ohio. Talk about a weird jump. You're skipping all kinds of states there in between. I'm not the greatest at geography, but I'm pretty sure that I know Ohio does not border the state of Georgia here. But this was the first card on September 28th in Columbus, Ohio, at the Ohio Center, held in the expansion to the north by Georgia Championship Wrestling. The decision to move north was made when a letter campaign that had led to Mr. Wrestling 2 becoming the quote-unquote champion of champions a few months back showed that a majority of the correspondence was coming from Ohio and the surrounding states up north. So Georgia Championship Wrestling would go on to make Ohio, Michigan, West Virginia regular stops, which were all coordinated by Les Thatcher. And uh, Ed Farhat, a.k.a. the original Sheik, gave his blessings to GCW, moving into his territory based out of Detroit, Michigan as well. And also, as you guys will notice, the Sheik becomes involved in some of the promotion in the early stages. You can tell by some points uh, some of the talent they bring in for some of the shows, specifically in West Virginia. You can tell those are some of the Sheik's guys. The remnants of the Sheik's territory would also cease operations around this time, so it seemed like a perfect time for uh, Jim Barnett, Ole Anderson, and company to kind of slide in and try their hand in the old Detroit big-time wrestling territory, and even all the way down here in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, they had nothing to lose. And listen to this card. Talk about throwing out a stack card for your first show in a new area. Dusty Rhodes on the card over Ole Anderson on a DQ. Andre the Giant, talk about bringing the big guns, defeating the masked superstar. The Assassins over Steve Kern and Kevin Sullivan. Mr. Wrestling 2 over the Russian bear Ivan Koloff and Terry Taylor defeating Dennis Condry on the undercard. When your shittiest match, and I have to put air quotes around that, is Terry Taylor and Dennis Condry, you have a pretty good show going. Yeah, and even just for five matches, that is a stacked show. Yeah, Andre the Giant, Dusty Rhodes, and only Anderson. Andre and the Superstar. The Assassins taking on Kern and Sullivan. Wrestling 2 and Ivan Koloff on the, in the second match in the card. Holy cow. Uh, talk about trying to draw some numbers there. Now, I don't have any facts or figures. I don't know what they drew there, but I hope they did well. Oh, I'm sure they did, especially on the first show. 
As we roll on into the month of October, gone from the company. We talked about these guys in September. They're no longer here by October, and it looks pretty good here. They're getting rid of, they're cutting some of the fat. If you ask me, Jamie, uh, King Cobra gone. Big Red, Chief J Strongbow is off to Puerto Rico. <clears throat> Unfortunately, we lose Bullet Bob Armstrong. Uh, he's lightly active here still in October for Georgia, but mostly down in Alabama at this point for Southeastern. Also gone, Les Thornton, Baron Von Raschke. Uh, he's off to Florida by the month of November. And Oki Shakina, the enhancement talent out of the company as well by this point. And the baby. Are you face- making fun of Big Red because he was large? Because he was big and because he was red. Also because and he it, sucked. And, and, uh, and you said he was cutting the fat. The poor guy. I love well, Big I, Red. I didn't mean the, that. That big smile come across on television? The, the guy pardon, was awesome. Pardon the pun. We'll see Big Red <laughs> pop up in the IWL there for Thunderbolt Patterson. Looks like Big Red's the announcer for those shows. Just scary Oh, thought. really? Yes. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to see him announce, but I like to see him come out and just hug people. <laughs> the Holy Ghost Splash, Big Red. Yes. Indeed. So the top talents here in the month of October for Georgia include Kevin Sullivan, Steve Kern, Steve O, Terry Taylor. Lars Anderson's still here for a few dates. Mr. Wrestling's one and two. And uh, working more full time now are the Oats Boys, Jerry and Ted Oats, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, Jerry Roberts, Jacques Rougeau still here, as well as Tony Atlas coming back to the full time basis and also returning here in October. Oh, Dolan, it's Austin Idol plus Ray Candy and Dusty Rhodes. Now, we saw him just recently as Uvalde Slim. Dusty Rhodes back without the mask now as he uh, Gene Anderson was the one that lost that loser leaves pinfall matchup. And Stan Hansen, even briefly in here, in the month of October, taking on the likes of Ole Anderson, Killer Khan, and NWA World Champion Harley Race. Yeah, I found that very interesting, Stan Hansen as a good guy at that point, because I'd only ever seen Stan as the bad guy. You know... Uh, I knew I had seen this before, so I should have known Stan Hansen was a babyface here in Georgia. But I, I saw something posted on Facebook a few weeks back, and they, it was the old question: uh, name wrestlers that never worked face. And, and somebody wrote Stan Hansen, and I felt like that was wrong, but I couldn't correct them. Like I couldn't say wrong. This is what he did, and I don't know why I had that brain fart where I I couldn't re- remember. I, I wanted to say Hansen was the babyface here. And maybe even maybe even for a little bit there for Crockett around eighty one or eighty two, I think he came in and out when Ole was booking there. But um, yeah, yeah, he it, doesn't turn heel until the, the that uh, NWA World Tag Team Tournament, where just right. out of nowhere he turns <laughs> heel and starts teaming with Ole, uh, and then that doesn't even last that long. He he's back to being face. Yeah, but uh, it's at just, least in Georgia after that, it just feels so wrong to picture Stan Hansen as a babyface. I every time I got to see him growing up. And he was in and out of the AWA. He was in and out of WCW. But whenever I got to see him, I absolutely loved him. And he was always a heel and scared the hell out of me, but in a good way. It made me think of my grandpa as if my grandpa was a lot larger man. <laughs> Just, I don't yeah, know. I, I, could, I could see that. <laughs> and uh, my, somewhere my brother's listening to this laughing right now because he's probably shaking his head. Oh, yeah, that's probably Papa. <laughs> Uh, some of the heels here in the month of October, Ole Anderson still around, Dennis Condry, Stan Lane, Killer Khan, the Assassins, Mr. Saito still in town, Terry Funk briefly comes in, we talk about him winning that title and then dipping out, I'm not sure if that's because we changed bookers or not, not really sure the story there, Terry Funk comes in and works specific people, including Stan Hansen, Lars Anderson, Tony Atlas, and of course wins that TV title before he leaves, so Funk 
only wrestled in matches that mattered. He didn't work TV. He wasn't working a lot of squash matches. He was coming in for the big shows and working the big guns. Stan Hansen, Tony Atlas, and of course, uh, you know, wins the title before he takes off. Yeah, well, Terry Funk was no fool. <laughs> well, I've never I, I said mean, that. I, I'm sure you heard the story uh, before. I think John McAdam heard the story at the same time I did in a dressing room in suburban Philadelphia, mm-hmm. uh, where Terry Funk's talking about how he knew the end of wrestling was coming, or at least the territories was coming the moment he saw Georgia Championship Wrestling on TBS. And that's when he decided, you know what, we're closing up Amarillo, we're going to sell it and just move on. And that's really honestly what happened. I mean, they went to TBS, it became a national thing. Amarillo did dry up right around that same time. They, the, the Funks got the hell out of there. Terry made most of his money after that over in Japan, although he could work, get a job in the States anytime he wanted, but the money was to be made over there in Japan, and then he was off to the movies. Yeah, and he'd come back to Georgia whenever he wanted to, just to show his face on national television. <laughs> yeah, every time I'm coming back into the, into the States here, I'll work a couple weeks in Georgia, and then you know he pays off, and he even goes up there and makes a couple bucks working Hogan and the like for the WWF for a little bit before his horse gets sick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Terry. And, and then we get Jimmy Jack, but that's another story. <laughs> that is another a, place, another universe, <laughs> another time. Yeah, I've been covering Jimmy Jack on my uh, 1987 project in the WWF over on the Grenade Show. In fact, I was just talking to my brother earlier, telling him a couple stories about Jimmy Jack Funk playing a part in uh, getting the Rockers fired. The, the, they were there for like one day back in 87, and then uh, – Reportedly, Jimmy Jack Funk's the one that got everything going at the bar, got the Rockers fired. And then, of course, you know, just a week or two after that, uh, karma's a bitch. Haku ripping the eyeball out of uh, one Jesse bar. Oh, that's right. I forgot all about that story. (laughs) So uh, we'll get back here to Georgia, guys. Not trying to go off the rails uh, here and talk about the other show or anything. But uh, so we talk about all the heels in the company. Of course, how could I forget the brand new tag team of the Freebirds? So the heel roster really stacked right now. With the Freebirds technically on top, even though they're the tag team, but the Assassin's still kicking around for a little bit here. Ole Anderson's here, Terry Funk in and out. So we're looking good here in the month of uh, October here in Georgia. Also on the underneath, we still got some of the familiar enhancement talent, like a Mike Davis and a Rocket Monroe. And the NWA World Heavyweight Champion Harley Race in town several times here in the month of October, taking on Stan Hansen both October 8th and 9th. And then Dick Slater coming into town, working against Harley Race on October 10th. And then Harley closes up shop here for the month of October, popping up on, as you talked about, working on national TV here, WTBS. Harley Race going to score a non-title win, I'd have to imagine, over Jerry Roberts on TV on October the 11th. I am the Mountie. Oh, that, that, that's later, I forgot. <laughs> Much later. It's like 10 years later. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's always great to have the world champion in town, and I'm sure the NWA was happy getting Harley on that WTBS program. And that will continue going forward over the course of time with the NWA champion making a lot of appearances on Georgia Championship Wrestling. That's right, Harley and Flair and uh, so forth. But so Harley Race comes in, just works a few dates, obviously right in a row. You don't want him coming in and out, in and out here. But what what matches here? Stan Hansen, back-to-back nights. Those had to be some barn burners. Oh, you want to talk about hard hitting. That was probably uh, similar to a, a Flair Steamboat Chop match. Those guys going stiff on each other. So feuds coming out of October. Stan Lane and Kevin Sullivan still going at it. Dennis Condry still having his issues with Steve Kern. Dusty Rhodes and Ole Anderson not quite done yet. I don't know if they ever did finish up their feud. 
all continue on into the month of November, plus the birds now inserting themselves into the feud between the Assassins and Mr. Wrestling's 1 and 2. And I want to talk real quick to you, Jamie, about a storyline that began developing here in the latter half of October involving Kevin Sullivan and the fabulous Freebirds. Kevin Sullivan, unfortunately, one of the early victims of the Freebirds, they end up taking him off TV for a week here. Storyline purposes, guys. On October 25th, Michael Hayes claiming that if Kevin Sullivan could somehow get his former longtime nemesis, Austin Idol, to team with him, they'd give the two a title shot on TV the following week, November 1st. Now, we'll get into what happens with that when we get to November here in just a minute. But uh, it seems like almost immediately they're finding something for the Freebirds to do. They're not hot-shotting it. They're not main eventing. They're not working with Dusty Rhodes right away, per se. But we're already getting uh, some things cooking here with Kevin Sullivan and potentially Austin Idol. Remember, we haven't got there yet. Yeah, well, although not the top of the card, you knew it wasn't long. Oh, yeah, they're right there. Before, before they could, because this Idol-Sullivan stuff is, yeah, baby. Good stuff. I, b- I believe they call it fire these days. Hot fire. <laughs> hot fire. <laughs> Not wildfire, but hot fire. So we move on to the month of November and things begin to get cooking now. I got to tell you guys, heading into 1981, gone from the company, though. Mr. Wrestling number one, Tim Woods, finished up his career here at this point. Jamie, he doesn't return to the ring again, I don't believe. But he did get a Georgia tag team title run on the way out. So I'm, I feel good about that. Also, Lars Anderson disappears into obscurity for several years. I don't see him in the results for a few years here. I don't know what he was doing for popping back up for Leah Mayavia down in Hawaii. Actually, he does make an appearance in 81 in Georgia, but we'll get to that. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking Sorry. I know what you're talking about, though. You're right. You're right. And, and it's a quickie, but it's totally unexplainable. But yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I just remember. I remember what you're talking about when we get there. And I remember thinking that I was like, that was it. That was it. Where'd he go? But I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So uh, gone from the company, all of those names, plus Dusty Rhodes, he's going to be out here for uh, the next several weeks. Well, uh, he'll be back back in and out, no doubt about it. But uh, also gone. Assassin number two, that's Randy Colley. So Jody Hamilton going to go it alone right now as the assassin. But assassin number two, Randy Colley finished up. Actually, technically, he finished up in October. He was already doing WWF TV tapings as Moondog Hawkins and then eventually Moondog Rex one half of the Moondogs with Moondog King at that point. So Randy Colley out the door, as well as Rocket Monroe on the underneath the preliminaries. So a lot more names are gone as we look at the babyface side of things. Wow, listen to the names, though. Steve-O, Terry Taylor, Jumping Jim Brunzel, Jerry Roberts, Ted and Jerry Oates, Mr. USA, Tony Atlas, Mr. Wrestling 2. So we have the Assassin and Wrestling 2 still here. Their partner's both gone from the company. Ray Candy going to be here for the next month as well as Kevin Sullivan, Steve Kern. Uh, Kern, though, also on a tour of Japan at this point, so he's only here for select dates. Austin Idol, don't forget, is here, but he no-shows by the end of November, and for once, may have a good reason. I'll get to that later on as we continue talking about the month of November. But also, new to the company, so we looked at Mr. Wrestling 2 and Tony Atlas, Terry Taylor, but let's look at some of the new names coming in, including Ted DiBiase has arrived here from the Mid-South region. He's here now in Georgia Championship Wrestling as well. We even get Jack Briscoe sprinkled in, and Tommy Rich comes in from Memphis, uh, does a one-off in Marietta, Georgia, for some odd reason, taking on the Freebirds. Yeah, he just had to be home drinking that weekend. I I have to imagine. Uh, (laughs) Somebody say something about Marietta. Yeah, I could use a little crack. 
I mean, I could use a little rent money. <laughs> Love you, Someone Tommy. Fired up. And I got a Tommy Rich story. It doesn't compare to yours, but it's close. Down the line. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Tommy Rich going to come back in full time to the territory here in the first quarter of 1981. Looking forward to talking all about Tommy Rich, one of my favorites of all time there back in this era. And uh, we talk about all the new names coming in. Tommy Rich was back for a night. Jack Briscoe sprinkled in here. Ted DiBiase, you can't get much bigger than that here in 1980. But also coming in, November 22nd marks the debut of one Stan Plowboy Frazier and Robert Fuller, brand new tag team here in Georgia Championship Wrestling. And then over on the heel side, the Freebirds still here. Ole Anderson, Mr. Saito, Killer Khan still here, but he's doing jobs nightly, which is odd for someone his size, but he's clearly on the way out. Also still here for the time being, Dennis Condry, Jody Hamilton as the assassin, Stan Lane, and new to the company includes Roger Mason, a.k.a. Dirty Rose, baby, up there in Memphis. And the Mongolian Stomper will arrive on November 29th. More of the Fuller regime starting to move in here. And, of course, Mike Davis, Charlie Fulton still here on the underneath. And you can tell there's a new booker because there's all sorts of new enhancement talent making their way through here, including Tom Stanton, Ken Timms, Ted Allen, Pat Rose, Bobby Garrett, Gerald Finley, some of those, the who's who on the underneath. Uh, Ken Timms, uh, quite the talent, as well as Ted Allen, Pat Rose, my God. And those guys get, I mean, especially Allen, Rose, Garrett, and Finley, they'll get like a two- or three-year run on Georgia. Yeah, yes, they will. Every oh, Saturday yeah. they were there, and and Garrett was actually pretty decent looking. They could have probably done something with him in the day if they wanted to. Yeah, I think I, I'd have to agree with that. You have to wonder what was the uh, what was holding him back. Was it just the bookers, or was it something more? Not really sure, but you, you make a good point there, and I look forward to posting a few matches of uh, his on my YouTube channel so people can kind of get an idea of who we're talking about there. And that's another fun thing, the, the YouTube channel that I have. Now, I'm doing the Mid-South show, the 86 show with Roman, and I've been posting in chronological order all of the Mid-South TV and the Power Pro shows from 86 so the people that want to can follow along with us or if they hear something interesting, they can go, they can reference the date and go and check it out on my YouTube channel. And I can't really do that here with Georgia because we don't have everything from the time period, but I will be posting a lot of fun things from time to time that people can check out on there. Yeah, this is a rough time period to kind of find everything you really have to search deep yeah but i think starting somewhere around july or maybe august uh every episode of georgia championship wrestling is out there um from that point forward for the rest of 1981 so i'm looking forward to when we get there yeah i think it is july on it is just about every episode and actually the stuff that i was able to locate you even get some april and may where you get the full shows before late may and june is kind of sporadic again but there's a little bit of every every week i do believe out there so there's just enough that you can kind of keep up with what's going on at least with some of the top talent like the freebirds right they were uh whoever owned the original tapes must have just did best ofs and you know edited it down and just kept the good stuff which is unfortunate but i you know i'm uh, beggars can't be choosers and i appreciate that any of it exists which i used to do myself back in the day i used to cut my shows up and then send them out to people because you can get more on a shorter tape. Sure. By, sure. by cutting it up. And back then, I mean, uh, we weren't exactly preserving history in our minds. I don't think much so more so now I, you know, I look, I appreciate, you know, every little bit that exists. I, I really, you know, I really do appreciate that it's out there and I do my best to 
convert it all to digital so that hopefully, you know, it's out there forever. Yeah. I mean, people like yourself, like a Greg Oliver, a Brian Last, and, and people of that ilk that are trying to preserve history, all you people are very important because without you, a lot of this stuff is just going to disappear and nobody will ever get to say it's just like if WWF does for some reason, the WWE, I'm sorry, sells to a Saudi Arabia company. Mm-hmm. Who knows if all that footage that they have currently will ever see the light of day. Yeah, you know, I was just having that conversation with one of my kids the other night. He came upstairs to go to bed and uh Connor, how old are you now? Thirteen? Thirteen. And uh he's got uh you know, everybody has the luxury now of the internet and all these things and they can learn all these things that Jamie, it took us decades to learn, right? And oh, so yeah. for thirteen, he's probably already where I was in my twenties as far as knowledge goes on the history of the business. And so I can carry fairly fun conversations with him about the history of wrestling. Uh, sometimes he even surprises me. Oh, well, that's when this happened. I'm like, wow, yeah, that is when that happened. Yeah, we were just talking the other night when he was go- about to go to bed about you know somebody buying up anybody. Really, it could be anybody. It doesn't have to be Saudi Arabia. It could be anybody. And they just don't see the value in that. And that's it. We just never see it ever. None of it. Yeah. And, and, well, and it's if- just like the promoters back in the day. I mean, I understand they were using reel-to-reel tape, right? and it was really expensive, and sure. they were taping over it, but if they had just given it any kind of thought oh, back yeah. in the day. Yeah. It's uh, it's really, really unfortunate. I was I was so pumped when uh, the last Battle of Atlanta uh, was found, though. That was just amazing. That was something uh was one of my holy grails. Yeah, it was. I think it was at one point. I would have to imagine everyone uh, saw it as the holy grail. At least everybody who was a fan of that era. Yeah, that. And I, I mean, that's another subject we can go yeah, well, into sure. d- down the line because you can have you could do a whole podcast series of podcasts on holy grails. Oh, yeah. There's just so much that people would love to see. I'm just my holy grail is Bachwinkle Backlund in Toronto. Now, that's a good one to, you know, it's uh, got to be up there at the near the top now at this point. That's for sure. I mean, there's a lot of them out there, though. Uh, obviously, we just talked about Tommy Rich and Buzz Sawyer. But, hey, I even popped for uh, Veneno uh, taking the belt from Flair. You know, once that match made it out, there, it was like, wow. So that, that really shocked me. Uh, but I'm sure Veneno stored that thing in the greatest safe in the world down there in the oh, Dominican. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So. so. But uh, we'll get back here to Georgia in 1980, guys. I apologize, but I do that sometimes when we start talking wrestling history. We can kind of just go all over the place. And, uh, well, you, you've heard me have to talk with Tom Robinson in the past, so you know how it goes. <laughs> we'll continue on here with November. We'll look at the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Harley Race, back in town again. Does a couple of matches against Mr. Wrestling, too. Those could have been fun on November 11th and November 26th. Also, took on Jumping Jim Brunzel on November 24th. Another interesting one I would like to have seen. Feels like an all-Japan-type match there. Jim Brunzel and Harley Race thrown in there together. And we'll see this quite a bit here over the next few months. Harley Race also taking on Mr. USA Tony Atlas on November 27th. Obviously, Race will retain the title over all of those challengers. Right. And again, they're bringing Harley in to get him that national exposure because TBS is going everywhere. And feuds here in the month of November, there's not a whole lot of them. We're starting to slow things down, but we're also changing bookers, which could be another reason why. One of those feuds being Ole Anderson working quite a bit with Tony Atlas and Ray Candy. So Ole going back and forth between those two throughout the month. Also, Kevin Sullivan has his issues with the Freebirds. And of course, Austin Idol going to be inserted into that. And that's where we're at right now. Jamie, we're going to start breaking down that feud 
between the Freebirds and Kevin Sullivan and Austin Idol. If you're ready, I'm ready to roll. Let it go, baby. Let it go. All right. So I talked about it. I touched on it already. Last month in the month of October, the Freebirds kind of humiliated Sullivan. Uh, He was out there, I believe, with a preliminary partner, if I remember correctly. And he winds up missing an episode of TV because of it. And during that time, the birds say, hey, Sullivan, you want another match? You want a title shot? Why don't you go and uh, why don't you go find that that former foe of yours, that arch nemesis? And I should point out, there was a long-standing, like, six-month feud between Kevin Sullivan, the babyface, and the heel Austin Idol much earlier here in the year in Georgia Championship Wrestling. But Austin, since that time, he's a babyface, but I don't know that he necessarily gets along with Kevin Sullivan, uh, but they must have a common denominator here in the fact that they neither one of them are fans of the Freebirds, it would seem. So we fast forward here to the month of November, November 1st TV. Kevin Sullivan produces Austin Idol as his partner. And Michael Hayes says that Austin Idol has done nothing to deserve a title shot. So Hayes doing that sissy deal, going back on his word here. He says that Austin Idol isn't worth the title shot. He's a free bird wannabe. And they won't break their contract. God bless the Freebirds. They won't break their contract here today against Gerald Finley and Marvin Turner, or even in the second hour against Johnny Carr and Jack Poor. They're not going to break their contracts today and face Austin Idol and Kevin Sullivan because they have integrity, damn it. Great heel lines there by Michael Hayes. Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget, Austin Idol applied to be a member of the Freebirds. That's right, yes. (laughs) But he wasn't worthy of the time to spend with Michael Hayes Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts. So they do one thing that I find a little funny here, but you got to do it because you got to pump your big upcoming house shows. So this entire TV is the Freebirds backing out of a uh, title match or at least a match against Sullivan and Austin Idol. Meanwhile, in the middle of the show, they announce a tag team title match between the Freebirds versus Idol and Kevin Sullivan for the Omni in Atlanta on November 14th. So while this entire episode's built around the Freebirds trying to shy away from Idol and Sullivan, we already learned that there's a matchup coming up at the uh, Omni in Atlanta in just a couple weeks' time. Right, they just don't want to give it away on television. So after the Birds have been dodging Sullivan and Idol from the title match on TV, Sullivan offers an open contract for the Birds to pick his partner for a match here today on television, but Michael Hayes has to mull it over. And he agrees for the match, but not for this week. He wants to do it next week. The Birds select enhancement worker Mike Davis as Kevin Sullivan's partner here for next week on TV, but the Birds will throw Sullivan a bone, and the Georgia Tag Team titles will be on the line. So the Birds agreeing to give Kevin Sullivan, and they get to pick the partner. They pick Mike Davis, the future rock and roll RPM Mike Davis. They're going to give Mike Davis a shot here with Kevin Sullivan next week on TV. And the Birds, hey, they're fighting champions. Since Sullivan has Davis as his partner, they'll put the titles on the line. And that's what they did. The only thing was they failed to redefine print in the contract. That's right. So Sullivan comes out to look over the contract and verify what Michael Hayes has said and then announces the NWA has appointed their own special referee for the match, Dolan. Do you see where I'm going here, guys? And out comes... Yes, it's the universal heartthrob, Austin Idol, in a referee shirt and a whistle. You got to love it, Austin Idol. So the Freebirds think they have outsmarted Sullivan and Idol. They pick Mike Davis as Sullivan's partner, but the NWA, they pick the referee, and it is Austin Idol. Great storyline. Oh, yeah, and Idol's wearing a referee shirt that had to be three sizes too small. 
but they but they had it ready he for just, him. <laughs> he was busting out of that thing. <laughs> you know, you know that's what he probably went and found Scrabby McGowan and said, "Give me that shirt. I want to look look." Oh yeah. <laughs> so as great as this week of TV was, it gets even better, guys. Flash forward one week, November eighth. After a show-long story of Kevin Sullivan asking for more time, guys, for his matchup against the Freebirds because Austin Idol has not arrived. He's, he's missing in action. Where is the referee, Austin Idol? He's not showing up. Sal Sullivan repeatedly asking for a little more time for the matchup. He wants Austin Idol in there to call the match. But the Freebirds come out and they read a telegram from, quote-unquote, Austin Idol, apologizing for ever messing with the birds. It reads something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing, guys. Dear Freebirds, I'm sorry for calling you names. I promise not to interfere with any more of your matches. I will not be at TV today. I always wanted to be a Freebird. Sincerely, Austin Idol. Something tells just, me he didn't send just that great telegram. stuff. Yeah, that's, just, that's just beautiful. <laughs> so it gets to the point in the show that even Gordon Soley admits you can't put the match off forever, Kevin, and perhaps Austin Idol was, just went back to his evil ways. You can't trust Austin Idol, theorizes Gordon Soley at this point. Kevin Sullivan, though, still believes in Austin Idol for some odd reason, because he gave his word, and that's all it took back then. Austin Idol promised he'd be here, and Sullivan thinks there's something keeping him from being here, but we're almost out of time, and we gotta do the matchup. So here we go. Tag team titles on the line, Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts defending against Kevin Sullivan and Mike Davis. Match time arrives, and referee Austin Idol is a no-show. So Sullivan can't believe it, but has to wrestle the matchup with a regular referee. And Mike Davis, well, he loses the matchup for the team with the backdrop powerbomb combination. I think Gordy was looking for the pile driver there, but powerbomb it was. And Davis has to be taken out. He's injured, carried away after losing the matchup. And Michael Hayes gloating, Kevin Sullivan attacks during a post-match promo with Hayes, which leads to a three-on-one beatdown. All three birds beating down Kevin Sullivan in the ring, and then after those shenanigans, Michael Hayes sends Gordy and Buddy off, off to get ready for some evening fun, while Michael Hayes back on commentary with Gordon Soley. He's going to gloat about what they just did to Kevin Sullivan, but out of nowhere, Freddie Miller, Mr. B there, shows up. Freddie Miller out and announces that Austin Idol is here. He has finally arrived, Jamie. Idol then shows up in the studio in street clothes with a referee shirt in hand. Idol has arrived. Let's get the match started, says Austin. But Soli is amazed that Austin Idol would show his face now. How dare you? After what had just transpired, Gordon informs Idol that they waited and waited, and finally they could wait no longer. The match had to take place. Idol says he had a flat tire. It took a bit, but he's here now. Soli then says he read the telegram that Idol sent the birds earlier. Gordon, shame on you. I can't believe you believe that telegram. But he says that he read the telegram that Idol supposedly sent the birds at the top of the show, stating that he wasn't coming and he always wanted to be a free bird. Gordon's facial expressions <laughs> through this whole segment are unbelievable. Yeah, he tells this, the story. This is what made Gordon so great. Yeah, I agree. Idol says he never sent a telegram, though, Jamie. Michael Hayes standing there says he understands that it would take a while to change four flat tires, but the match, it had to go on. Wait a minute. Idol questions what Hayes just said. Idol never said anything about four flat tires. He said a flat tire. So Austin Idol realizes that it was Michael Hayes, the one who slashed those four tires in the first place. 
Why, you dirty stinking. And the two men brawl to the ring. Austin Idol lighting up Michael Hayes. I read the telegram. I read the telegram that you sent to the Freebirds saying that you weren't going to be here. And now you tell me you had a flat tire. Wait, wait, wait. wait, 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 wait what telegram are you talking about? What telegram are you talking about? telegram that he brought out saying that you apologized, that you had once wanted to be a Freebird. I once wanted to be a Freebird. Well, you got to be giving me, Sully. Me want to be a Freebird? That's like saying Ronald Reagan would want to be John Anderson. I want to be a Freebird. I'm the Golden Boy of Wrestling! Boy, we wouldn't want you as a free bird because we don't have scum like you. Now, Sullivan just got hurt, and I guess it probably would take some time to change four flat tires, but the boy just got a whooping. What? If what? What? Wait, wait, wait. wait a minute. Get out of here wait now. Wait a minute. What did you say? I said if you don't want to get the same whooping he got on that. No, 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 no. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What did you say? Before you said that, what did you say before that? I didn't say nothing. I, I didn't say no, no. What did you say about four flat tires? How did you know that I had four flat tires? You just come out here and said you had a flat tire. No, I said, yes, right. I said I had a flat tire. I didn't say nothing about having four flat tires. Well, you dirty stinker. Wait a minute. Hey. Really great angle here. The crowd really into it. But Austin Idol getting the best of Michael Hayes when Buddy Roberts and Terry Gordy return, triple teaming Austin. Hayes busts Idol over the head with a chair. Does a little bit of color there. But Sullivan is back to make the save. And the baby faces Idol and Sullivan run off the Freebirds. Sullivan returns to make the save for Idol. He says he knew that Idol was a man of his word. And now it's on. Sullivan and Austin Idol looking for the Freebirds and the tag team titles, Dolan. It's all coming down at the Omni in Atlanta, November 14th. And that, my friends, is how you sell tickets. Damn right. Oh, my God. What an angle. Holy shit. I mean, that is, it has to be one of the top 10 angles of all time. I know the Freebirds, Von Erichs have some great stuff, but this angle, even the first time I saw it was about 83. And I, I was just captivated by it. it. And it was a tape of the entire angle laid out piece by piece. There was no nothing else on the tape. It was just this complete angle. And uh, wait till you hear how they follow it up, guys. <laughs> I'm not going to give you any spoilers. We're going to get there just a couple minutes. But before we get to the Omni on the 14th, let's look at a couple of house shows here in the middle of November in West Virginia. In conjunction with the Sheik, remember we talked about that. Listen to some of the matches on the card. It's Kevin Sullivan over Ole Anderson and Don Kent. Well, you know we're in the Sheik's territory now over T. Rich. Although T. Rich is not Tommy Rich. They just used the name on the upcoming ads, I guess, to try to fool you. I really don't know what they were going for there. Bobby Colt going to a draw with Malcolm Monroe and the Sheik in the main event over Mr. Wrestling 2. And like any Sheik match you've ever seen, no pinfall here, just a count out. Sheiky going over on Mr. Wrestling 2. And then the next night, November 13th in Huntington, West Virginia, at the Memorial Fieldhouse. Uh, some more of Sheik's guys here. It's Kevin Sullivan over Mr. Saito. Uh, Ray Candy defeating Ole Anderson. Don Kent again over T. Rich. Malcolm Monroe scoring the win this time over Bobby Colt. Assassin, Jody Hamilton defeating Roberto Pico. 
Didn't know he was still wrestling here at this point in time. And listen to this match. He had to be scared out of his fucking mind, Jamie. Terry Taylor, a very young Terry Taylor, defeats the Sheik on a DQ. And you know Taylor had to be bleeding by the end of that match. I have no doubt about it. And and knowing the personality of Terry, and I don't mean the the cocky side, I I have to feel that when he walked in there, he was shitting bricks. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Who'd want to really face the Sheik? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how old Terry was at this point, but he could have been much more than 20. And I I can't imagine... That little skinny Terry Taylor getting in there with the legend, the Sheik. And you know he's going to control. He's going to do whatever he's going to do. He's just going to throw him to the Lions. Now, you know what? That could be a Holy Grail match. That could be for all the wrong reasons. And, <laughs> and I, I would love to ask Terry Taylor if he remembers that match. And if he says no, I know that he's lying. But I'd love to hear his take on that match in, in particular. Of all the great things Terry Taylor did, barring the Red Rooster, I think that's, I would like to ask him, you know, Terry, what, what was it like working with the Sheik early on in your career? It would have been very entertaining, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. There's one guy who I never um, tripped across in all my uh, meeting of wrestlers. Somehow, we just never crossed paths. Doesn't really surprise me. Terry was his uh, own man, you know, the, he gets a lot of uh, shit for uh, being the way he was. Maybe a stooge would be, uh, you know, uh, one of the words to use for him. So it just seemed like Terry wasn't always around the those crowds that maybe uh, you guys hung out with. Yeah, I was the wrong sex for Terry Taylor to be hanging out with. <laughs> That's right. Hey, man, he knew what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about it, and here it is, November 14th at the Omni in Atlanta, and the Georgia Tag Team Champions. Hey, it's Michael Hayes stepping in the ring, teaming up with Buddy Roberts, battling the team of Austin Idol and Kevin Sullivan. Unfortunately, the match goes to a no contest, and the Georgia Tag Team titles are held up as a result of the matchup and replaced by the national tag team titles. We talked about that on the Thanksgiving night Omni card. So Idol and Sullivan dominate and lock the Las Vegas leg lock and spinning toe hold in stereo on their opponents. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how hot that crowd was for Austin Idol locking in the oh, Las yeah. Vegas leg lock? Uh, Kevin Sullivan locking the spinning toe hold. That was a finisher back in the day, guys. Uh, on the other free bird, they're both selling on the mat on their backs. Can ima- I can see the Omni crowd jumping for this. And the referee, though, but he's bumped. The referee's out. So Michael Hayes jumps in and interferes. Wait a minute. I got Michael Hayes in the matchup, but it says he interferes in the match. So maybe it was Gordy and Roberts wrestling. It it makes more sense. But nevertheless, the third free bird interferes in the matchup. But a second referee runs in and holds the belts up, uh, not allowing the free birds to to cheat their way to win the matchup. Yeah, I mean, like you just mentioned, could you imagine being there for that match after the the buildup from TV? The, yeah. the previous uh, day, I think it was a it was a Sunday show. Uh, the eighth to the fourteenth. So you're talking uh, six days, six days, right? Six days later, yeah. just just the heat when they you know the double spinning toe hold and uh, I'm I just think, speechless. I, <laughs> I I think if you started watching wrestling at a certain age, I think we've all been through this, and maybe even some have at later years in their lives as well. But there have been those times where we watch something on TV. And it was so compelling as the show came to a conclusion that we said, I'm getting that pay-per-view. I'm going to that show. Something really, really drew you. It sold you, which is what, you know, it's supposed to do. And the four flat tires angle, if I'm down there in Atlanta, I'm doing whatever I got to do to get to the Omni for that show. I I can't imagine how over uh, this was with the crowd. It had to be a Bill Watts angle. 
It certainly I mean, seems I, like I, that. I know Robley was, you know, quote the Booker, right. but this had to be heavily influenced by Watts just with each detail. And you know, you know, they say Michael, Michael Hayes has said, and Michael Hayes has said a lot of things, but he said that they had input on anything they did when they were in Georgia. They always discussed it with them. They ran by their ideas week to week, whatever they were going to do on TV. So I could see Michael Hayes maybe getting a little bit of, uh, you know, I don't know about the four flat tires thing. That's that's next level uh, for even for Hayes, maybe at that point in time. Well, that part has to be Watts. I mean, yeah, that's next level, but but you're right. Hayes using his influence because who did Michael Hayes really learn the most from? Bill Watts. That's right. And Bill Watts corrected everything um, that Hayes learned from the Nashville promoter, and I'm drawing a blank. Goulas. Goulas. Remember him and Gordy started out with Goulas, so I'm sure Goulas didn't teach them a lot. They well, didn't they- start learning until they got with Jarrett. And well, then, they worked for the Culkins, which was influenced also by Watts and, and Leroy McGurk and things. So I think, yeah, I think the birds were always kind of around Watts other than when they were up there in Memphis for that brief spell. So I, I agree with you. And then they're still learning from Jerry Jarrett there. So they've learned a lot in two years. Oh, absolutely. So uh, we move on with the month of November, though. We come out of the Omni on November 14th, the following day, Saturday on TV back on November 15th. It was announced that the Freebirds had been stripped of the NWA Georgia titles and that the titles would be retired and new national tag team champions would be determined and the tournament upcoming on November 27th at the Omni. So there will be no more Georgia tag team champions. The birds don't necessarily lose lose the belts uh, and we're still hot, right? We have our very first match between the birds and Austin Idol and Kevin Sullivan. So this thing could go on for months, couldn't it, Jamie? Oh, yeah, they, they could have run this right up through March. Easily. And uh, just to be clear, they continue the tag team of Sullivan and Idol, not just working against the Birds, but also here on TV, Sullivan and Idol teaming up on November 15th and November 22nd TV, competing as a tag team leading into that upcoming tag team title tournament. But unfortunately, there would be a shift in booking here. Robert Fuller, the future Colonel Rob Parker, and, and I hate to just announce him as that because I, my first the first time I was treated to seeing Robert Fuller, he was already up there in his career, but it was with Jeff Jarrett down in Dallas on ESPN. So I got to see a little bit of Robert Fuller near the tail end of his career. So I knew who Robert Fuller was before I was able to uh, get a hold of some of these tapes. Now, I've seen some of this already, but some of this other stuff, uh, you know, it's just learning about some of the things that Robert Fuller did earlier in his career. And of course, here he gets a shot at booking a territory. Bill Watts is out, and Robert Fuller now in as the Booker of Georgia Championship Wrestling here in the middle of November, right smack dab in the middle of this awesome Idol Sullivan versus Freebirds feud. So he's already cooking, right? He doesn't even have to do anything. He's already just let that marinate, and and it works. It writes itself, Jamie. But his first act is to vacate the Georgia Tag Team belts and create said tournament in order to interject himself and his buddy Stan Frazier, that's the future Uncle Elmer guys, of all people, as the center of the promotion to feud with the Freebirds. And what does that mean? Fuller walks in and immediately ends that red-hot feud between the Birds, Sullivan, and Idol, fresh off that four-flat tires angle we just saw last week on TV, not to mention the excellent six-month storied rivalry between Sullivan and Idol that culminated in them teaming up. This is a long-pending story here. 
Idle and Sullivan, now a team, they're feuding with the Freebirds. Four flat tires angle. A week later, we're done. Yep, and now we're about to go into four months of Robert Fuller versus the Freebirds. And thank God the Freebirds were at least half that act. <laughs> so talk about selfish booking, but, you know, the promoters did it all. It was always unfortunate when a promoter was also a wrestler at the same time because we saw so how, things like this. How do you think Fuller got the book? That's a hell of a you, good question. You, you think Watts just said, you know what, I need to get back home? I, I, I do believe took, that. Took Colonel Buck with him. And, I mean, Fuller and Watts had the connection from the Florida days in the early 70s. Right. Maybe he put Fuller in charge because Fuller was taking turns booking Knoxville with his brother. Right. I mean, it probably goes back to Buddy Fuller. It probably goes back to Watts, you know, dealing with the Welches and the Fullers and, and Eddie Graham down in Florida. And I, I don't know how convoluted it gets. But, I mean, obviously, they say at one point uh, the, the Welch family could have owned Florida. Instead of Eddie Graham. So it's it's really interesting. And of course, Watts went down there and learned from Eddie Graham, learned a book from Eddie Graham. So it's it's really weird. It's a weird dynamic to figure out how Robert Fuller factors in here coming up from Alabama. But he does, and he brings Stan Frazier along for the ride. <laughs> and with Watts uh, supposedly in the dementia stage now, well, I guess we'll never find out the answer. Oh, that's unfortunate. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, I heard that not that long ago. Um, wow. Maybe not full-blown dementia, but it, he's pretty bad from what I understand. That's really, really unfortunate. This is one of those guys that you just you never see uh, Superman, kind of. You know, it's just the way you look at him. He's never going to get sick, never going to die. I mean, I know that's silly, but Bill Watts is just, you know, the man's man. Exactly. Walking tall. Walking tall, indeed. Carrying that board with him. So uh, we move on, though, guys, and this is uh, this this tells the tale of uh, the end of Austin Idol and Kevin Sullivan here. We just formed the tag team at the beginning of the month. We get that hot angle against the Freebirds, and then the tag team titles become vacated. So it only makes sense here to conclude the finals with the Freebirds taking on Sullivan and Idol in some way, shape, or form. They should they should at least cross paths in this tournament. So let's see how it unfolds. November twenty seventh, the Omni in Atlanta, the National Tag Team Title Tournament. The first round goes down like this. It's Steve Kern and Terry Taylor receiving a bye for some odd reason. Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts of the Freebirds defeating the team of Jack and Jerry Briscoe. Talk about pushing the birds. Robert Fuller and Stan Frazier over the team. Well, it was supposed to be the Wild Samoans. Winds up being Afa and Killer Khan. Also, Ole and Gene Anderson. Gene Anderson back in the territory defeating the team of Kevin Sullivan and the Austin Idol in the first round. If that wasn't a fucking exclamation point, I don't know what is. I'm just sitting here with my hands in my face, just shaking my head. Now, also in that first round, I should point out, it was a intergender match. Steve-O and Jerry Roberts defeating the team of Judy Martin and Joyce Grable. Very interesting there. I'd like to have seen that matchup and how they would have worked that back in those days. But I go back to this. Let's look what happened here. The Andersons put the kibosh on the Sullivan and Idol team in the first round. But who advances? Why, none other than Robert Fuller and Stan Frazier. Pure coincidence. I would, I would have to think. So we move into the second round now, and it's Fuller and Frazier again booking themselves going over on the team of the Andersons. Wow, maybe that's why they brought Gene back, just to put themselves over a team like Ole and Gene Anderson. Uh, yeah, because there's Fuller. no way Ole's doing a job for Frazier. 
I can't imagine what was coming out of Ole's mouth uh, prior to this matchup. The comments that he made about his team doing Who a job. Who face in the second round? You got to be freaking nuts. I'm sure it was a little more colorful than that, but I think you're, you're spot on. I'm, I'm going G-rated right now. Let's save the, the R-rated for later. So also in the second round, it's Steve Kern and Terry Taylor over Steve O and Jerry Roberts. Probably, uh, you know, babyface for probably a pretty technical match there. And the Freebirds are the ones getting a bye through the second round into the semifinals where the Birds defeat the team of Terry Taylor and Steve Kern. And it's Robert Fuller and Stan Frazier now receiving the bye. Very odd the way this tournament's laid out. But we head into the finals. But before we get there, let's look at some of the other matches here on the show. NWA World Champion Harley Race on the card defeating Tony Atlas and Bullet Bob Armstrong. Defeating Mr. Saito, Mr. Wrestling 2 has been away for a couple of weeks, but he returns to the promotion, and he comes out to ringside during this matchup, causing an accidental distraction, allowing Bullet Bob to defeat Mr. Saito. Now, Bullet was actually feuding with Saito to some degree, because it was Saito who took Brad Armstrong out of the territory a few uh, months ago. And then Right, uh, Saito was doing the uh, judo gimmick during that time period, and actually mm-hmm. got a lot of interview time with Gordon Soley, which was surprising. Yeah, I mean, they, they certainly uh, utilized Saito while he was there. He was Mr. Torture, man. He was definitely yeah, one, one badass nice dude. Yes, he did. <laughs> uh, he got pushed right out of the States, too, thanks to Kim Batera. <laughs> another story, another time. That's right. So we move on, though, to the finals. Of but I am na- kind of hungry for McDonald's now. <laughs> now that you mention it, I just had some yesterday, so I'll let it go for now. Love their fries, though. So, so we head into the uh, <laughs> finals here of the National Tag Team Title Tournament. And it is the Freebirds, surprisingly, they do win. But who are they taking on? The team of Robert Fuller and Uncle Elmer. Fucking Uncle Elmer comes into town, and he's in the finals of the Thanksgiving night tradition tournament here in the Omni of Atlanta. The Freebirds going to go over, and they will become the first-ever national tag team champions. But once again, Uncle Elmer is in my fucking main event, Jamie. Yeah, but he's a giant hillbilly. Who doesn't love a giant hillbilly? <laughs> I'm sure that was what Vince McMahon said right before he signed him to a contract. <laughs> Who doesn't love a fucking giant hillbilly, pal? Now give me a turkey sandwich light on the mustard. <laughs> and we're going to close out the month of 1980. We're going to look at TBS TV again, Georgia Championship Wrestling for November 29th. We see Kevin Sullivan taking on good friend Steve Kern for the, the national. Battle of the good guys. That's right, for the national TV title. Now we started the month off hot. Kevin Sullivan, one of the top baby faces. Really, just uh, an every every man's man. I mean, Sullivan is doing everything here in 1980. I mean, he's really everything but the main event. Oh, yeah. He he was the MVP for the second half of um, 1980. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way to refer to him, the MVP of the company. No, he wasn't main eventing, but he was doing everything else on the underneath. And, uh, and wow. He's finally and he was getting- always, in the, always in the title picture. TV title, he, he was up for the Georgia title, the tag team title. He was the junior champion for a while. So he was everywhere. Yeah, and uh, what's so funny is he waited and waited for his spot in that main event, and he finally gets it. Teaming with Austin Idol, his former rival, feuding with those Freebirds, and then it's yanked out from underneath him. Uh, but I guess, you know, he gets, gets a little bit back here. Scoring the win over his friend, defeating Steve Kern for the TV title here. And here's how it all goes down. They, they uh, wind up fighting for an abdominal stretch, both been trying to apply the hold. And Steve Kern winds up taking a bump through the ropes, and it looks like an accident at first. So Kevin Sullivan offers to help Kern back into the ring, holding the ropes open for his good buddy, but attacks the day's Kern as he's entering the ring with a series of quick shots to the head and an inside cradle. Sullivan then winning the TV title under questionable tactics. 
But you have to understand, when the referee gives you your instructions at the beginning of the match, mm-hmm. you're told to defend yourself at all times. <laughs> well, Steve Kahn didn't defend himself. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, that is true, and uh, Kevin Sullivan winds up taking the win and, and winning the t- national TV title here on November 29th, uh, right here on Georgia TV. So there's no denying it. Kevin Sullivan is uh, moving away from Austin Idol. Austin Idol visibly gone from the company, it would seem. Not even a mention of him here on TV here this week. But Kevin Sullivan right away put into a new angle, a new story here as the TV champion. Yeah, and everybody... When you go back and watch this, just take a look at Sullivan and his body at this point. And then as you move along and you get up until about <laughs> uh, April and May, uh-huh. notice the transformation. Yeah, there's definitely a transformation. And for those of you who've only seen Kevin Sullivan. He looks like a totally different person. <laughs> he sure does. Uh, and but, this is the beginning of it. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's uh, quite the transformation. And then there's another transformation later in his career. Uh, for those oh, who only saw Kevin Sullivan in WCW, once upon a time, this man was, well, he, he was actually a bodybuilder. Yeah, he, he was ripped. And we actually, if you go back to the Idol feud, the, the very beginning stages of the Kevin Sullivan-Mike Davis friendship that comes to be in around 1985. All right. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we're going to close out the month of November. Just to kind of make a point here really quick. Marietta, Georgia, November 30th at the Cobb County Civic Center. Steve Kern going to team up with Robert Fuller and Stan Frazier. Kern subbing for Austin Idol, who has, you guessed it, Jamie, quit the company yet again. Obviously not happy with the change in direction of the storyline he's involved in. And I can't say that I blame him. I guess you could say Austin Idol was the original Ted DiBiase here because it's Fuller, Frazier, and it was scheduled to be Austin Idol defeating the team of all three Freebirds in an elimination match here in Marietta. Now, Kern winds up subbing for Idol in this matchup, but you have to wonder, before Ted DiBiase was inserted there as the third man against the Birds, were they looking for it to be Austin Idol? I would have to imagine that would be the case. Yeah, because we didn't get enough of Idol and Hayes going one-on-one in and the I verbal think- jabs. Wouldn't surprise me if this was Fuller saying, hey, l- listen, you you come with me, we'll find something else for Sullivan. And then Idol just saying, you know what, flip some of the burden, I'm gone. Yeah, and I'm just, you know, throwing shit against the wall here. I don't know that any of this was really what took place, but it seems like they gave, they threw Kevin Sullivan a bone here. We still want you here. We're going to give you the TV title. We're going to, you know, turn you heel. We're going to do this and that with you. But we're not going to put you in the main event. I want to work with the Freebirds, says Robert Fuller. I want to make the top draw money. So naturally inserts himself in there, his good buddy, Stan Frazier, and then Austin Idol. You'd need somebody that's already established in the territory, somebody who is flashy, who can talk, who can match it with the Michael Hayes on the mic. So it seems like that's probably where they were going to go had Austin Idol stuck around. But Idol, well, darling, Austin Idol saying that um, I like the other story better. We were really onto something with that four flat tires thing, and you just come in and take it from me. Yeah, they just ruined that but if idol had stayed around who knows what would happen who knows indeed i guess we'll never know mm-hmm. as we move <laughs> into the month of december i'm going to try to run through this as fast as i can guys but i do want to touch on a couple of things here throughout the month of december gone here by the end of the year jim brunzel is off to all japan to team up with nick bockwinkle for the real world tag league some good matches those between those two or with those two i should say ray candy finishes up on december 5th he's off to mid-south 
Austin Idol, no shows by the end of November. We just talked about that. He'll eventually pop up in Memphis to work with Jerry Lawler upcoming in January of 81. And Mike Davis, sad to say, off to the Florida Territory. Still with the company? The likes of Steve O, Robert Fuller, Ted DiBiase, Stan Frazier, Terry Taylor, Kevin Sullivan, Tony Atlas, Mr. Wrestling 2, Steve Kern, Ted and Jerry Oates, Jerry Roberts, Jacques Rougeau, back to, back to doing jobs here on TV with Fuller now booking, and also returning to the company here in the month of December. Bullet Bob Armstrong going to be here quite a bit, and Jerry Briscoe will join Brother Jack for several matches here in the month of December. Then over on the heels side of things, the likes of Ole Anderson. Stan Lane's still here for a few dates, but he's gone by December 5th. Doesn't pop back up on anywhere until February 22nd for Southeastern down in Alabama. So I'm not sure if Stan got hurt. I'm not sure if he took some time off to go hang out on the beach over the winter. I'm not sure what Stan was doing here. But uh, or had a legal problem. It could be some legal problems. Yes, indeed. Could be. <laughs> running from a couple of ladies. But Stan Lane, uh, gone after December 5th, doesn't return anywhere until the latter half of February. So Stan Lane is no more. The junior heavyweight title now announced uh, the new champion, Steve O, as I pointed out earlier in the show. Also here, still with us, uh, the Freebirds, obviously. Killer Khan going to do a few more jobs on the way out. The Mongolian Stomper has arrived, as well as Dennis Condry doing some jobs also on the way out. Mr. Saito will be here through Christmas. The assassin, Jody Hamilton, still here. And Roger Mason, who who came in and was getting some wins on TV. I don't know that he was ever going to be anything big. And it seemed like an uh, obvious choice to throw a mask on him and make him the other assassin, but wasn't in the cards. Roger Mason, uh, ever since at least Robert Fuller took the book over, Mason just doing straight-up jobs every week on TV. And new to the territory, and no shocker, Joe LaDuke, another good buddy of Robert Fuller. Did uh, quite a bit of money there for the uh, Knoxville territory as well as Alabama. Also, Alexis Smirnoff going to come in by the end of the year, and Luke Graham, Crazy Luke, going to work the underneath here in December of 1980. Luke Graham, always one of my favorites. I love the trunks that made it for me. I think the, I would have loved... The trunks. Yeah, well, yeah, he had some interesting trunks for a time period where things were more bland. That's for sure. He definitely stuck out. And I think I would have loved Luke Graham during that tag team title run back that was around 71 or so in the WWF. I think, you know, I would have really enjoyed some of Luke Graham's early stuff. He was the one that turned Gorilla Monsoon babyface, in fact. But Oh, really? That by, I did not know. By the time I got to see, you know, lots of Luke Graham that's out there, I, I don't want to ask anybody to go do this. But if you guys want to get an idea of what Luke Graham was wrestling like here by the turn of the 70s into the 80s, go back and check out Luke Graham's last run in the WWF. I think it was 1978. There's quite a bit of it out there. On the Peacock, Luke Graham was, I, I have to use the word embarrassing. He was so bad, I don't know how he had a job. Yeah, he goes into 79, and the last time I remember seeing him on TV, he was teaming with Stan Stasiak. That was ugly. I think when I was doing, uh, when I was doing reviews for those shows, I think they write Luke Graham out. He does a job to Backlund on the way out on TV. So Backlund's the champion, and he uh, puts, uh, puts yeah, I remember Graham that. down. Yeah. So, but Luke Graham showing up here and he's working the underneath in Georgia uh, in the upcoming month of December. Also on the undercard, Tom Stanton, Charlie Fulton, Ted Allen, Pat Rose, Ken Timms, all still here. And you can add Bill Dromo to the preliminary fold as well. Noticeably, the bookers have changed as of a couple weeks ago, and a lot of talent have left the territory, but not a lot of movement as far as new guys coming in. Now, we talked about LaDuke, Luke Graham, 
Smirnoff will be here by the end of the month, but really other than that, not a whole lot here in the month of December. So Fuller obviously moving some of his guys into the territory, but other than that, not a whole lot of movement here as we head into the new year. Yeah, it was uh, business as usual, just kind of whole treading water would be the, uh, I guess, the proper term right now in Georgia. And some of the feuds here in the month of December include Robert Fuller and Stan Frazier. You can lump Ted DiBiase into that six-man feud against the fabulous Freebirds. Also, the now-heel Kevin Sullivan feuding with the former TV champion Steve Kern. Mongolian Stomper going to have some matches with Bullet Bob Armstrong. Talk about tried and true. I don't think it's an accident that Bullet Bob's back here and working with the Stomper, of all people, with Robert Fuller under the book. Also, Mr. Wrestling 2 going to feud with Mr. Saito through uh, Christmas night in the Omni. Which was another solid matchup, those two guys. Uh, two veterans. They, they did the judo thing, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the judo jacket match. We'll get to that in just a few minutes here. Also, in the month of December, Harley Race back again, taking on Tony Atlas December 26th, and he's back on TV over Jimmy Jones on December 27th, heading into the new year. And speaking of TV, we're going to go back to December 6th TV really quick. Looking at the first hour of television, it's Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts defeating the team of Steve-O and Ron Cheatham by disqualification when Ron Cheatham, of all people, walks out on partner Steve-O. And then in hour two, it's Steve-O scoring a matchup. He gets a match. He's asking for it, and he's getting it, over, and gets a win over Ron Cheatham in the second hour. So a little TV storyline there for Steve-O having an uh, enhancement talent guy kind of turn on him, and then in the second hour getting a little revenge, defeating Ron Cheatham. Which is the precursor to a little push for, well, not a little push, a good push for Steve-O. Because he'd been around for a couple months with Brunzel just, you know, doing preliminary stuff with mostly wins. Yeah, Steve-O has a lot coming for him here in the new year of 1981. We'll be talking about him for quite a while in 1981. Getting back to TV for December 6th, Kevin Sullivan scores a win over Jerry Roberts. Sullivan now more aggressive in the ring. Same with his squash match on December 13th as well. And I love this one. I, talk, I think I talked to you. I think we talked about this either on the phone or through text messaging, maybe on Facebook. I don't really know. But Sullivan uses a hell of a clever spot to defeat Terry Taylor on a countout on the December 20th edition of TV. He actually puts Terry Taylor in a full Nelson on the floor, and Sullivan keeps looking back at the referee to see what the count is at. And then finally, when the referee reaches the count of nine, Sullivan releases the hold, dropping Taylor to the outside, and then Sullivan rolling back in the ring to beat the count, defeating Terry Taylor, not giving him a chance to get back in the ring. Great heel shit, and I, I'd never seen that before. I had neither until I just watched it the other week. I definitely never saw anyone full Nelson and then push him away. It was, <laughs> it made sense. Like I would have liked to have seen him do that repeatedly. That would have been great. Yeah, it was a nice, uh, nice ending. And never saw it again. No, and somebody's got to steal that. Now somebody is going to steal that. It's going to be because of us. I'm going to pretend like it's because of us anyway. That sounds good to me. All right. So we, I've been known we, to be a glory hound at Robinson. <laughs> well, Tom, that goes without saying. So, <laughs> uh, so we go on. We look at the Omni card on December 12th. On the show, Cowboy Bill Watts back in town for one night, defeating Ole Anderson in a match with Bobo Brazil as the special referee, maybe trying to work something with the Sheik there again? That's the only thing I could figure. I mean, why Bobo? He hadn't been there in like six years. I have no idea how long it's been since Bobo had been there, but yeah, it just seems really odd. Bill Watts coming back in randomly. I mean, I know he has heat with Ole, but 
Bobo Brazil, of all people, the referee there. <laughs> and then we're back to the TV studio on December 13th. It's the Freebirds, Gordy and Roberts, going to a no contest with their arch rivals now, I guess it would be Robert Fuller and Stan Frazier. It's hard to say. And then we move on to television. It's the final TV before the big Christmas card night at the Omni in Atlanta. December 20th television, the final build for Christmas night. Former friends, former workout buddies, Georgia heavyweight champion Tony Atlas scheduled to take on his former friend, Kevin Sullivan. Let's hear from both men. Well, I needed a workout this afternoon, and I think I got it. Gordon, I'd like to say one thing. I'm going to direct this to a former friend of mine, Tony Atlas. Tony, even your people know I have more soul than you. You're shucking and jiving, Tony. Let me tell you, Tony, I can fish better than you. I can fight better than you. And I can even play basketball better than you, Tony Atlas. I can do anything better than you. Because you know, you taught me a lot of things. And I never let on to you, Tony Atlas, anything. Because sometimes I think you have an IQ of a rutabaga. So Tony Atlas, you know, you can show all your muscles, but I don't think you're any bigger than mine. I don't think you're any stronger than me. And I know one thing, Tony Atlas, your people, your people know you got no soul because the soul comes from the heart and you don't have it. Well, I'll tell you what, before we go any farther, Mr. Sullivan, I think you would be very interested in hearing some comments previously recorded by Tony Atlas. So let's uh, let's give a listen to these comments from Mr. USA. Well, when it comes to Kevin Sullivan, Tony Atlas certainly, I'm sure, has some well-chosen words. Well, you know, me and Kevin Sullivan, we were Georgia tag team champions and everything in the past. And Kevin Sullivan was a kind of man that I kind of trusted a great deal. You know, Kevin Sullivan, the whole time that me and Kevin was together, Kevin always used to ask me things when we went to the match. And he said, Tony, how you lift a man over your head like this? So I said, Kevin, I do it this way. I said, I always do like this and that and that and that and that and that. And Kevin said, uh-huh, that's good. And sometimes he asked me, he said, Tony, how come every time a man lock hands with you? It's because your hands are stronger than his, the reason you always take him down to his knees? And I said, no, Kevin. I said, because it's a technique to it, just like arm wrestling, weightlifting, and everything else. And Kevin said, uh-huh. And he was taking all this in. So the next thing I know, I done told Kevin Sullivan three-fourths of all the knowledge that I have learned in my whole 25 years of living. And Kevin Sullivan never expressed anything to me about his ability. So when I go into ring against Kevin Sullivan, there's very little that I know about Kevin Sullivan. There's a great deal that he know about me. But in the Omni, Kevin Sullivan, there's one thing that I know about you. I know you can't be trusted. I know you're a low-down, good-for-nothing, dirty dog. And Kevin Sullivan, I know one thing else, too, brother. Now, I might not know everything about you, but I know that I will whoop you as long as I can keep up with you and get paid for it. So, Kevin Sullivan, bring yourself on to the Omni, brother. If you think that I don't know nothing about you, I know one thing, Kevin Sullivan, I can fight you all night long. Tony Atlas, let me tell you something. Christmas Day and the immortal words of Southside Band. There's four things you don't do in this world. The first is you don't tug on Superman's cape. The second thing is you don't spit in the wind. The third thing is you don't pull the mask off the Lone Ranger. And the fourth thing is you don't mess around with a battle. I'm going to get you. All right, so that's a pretty big deal there. They were workout buddies, and Tony Atlas was really working with Kevin Sullivan, or so the story goes. And then Sullivan changes his personality overnight. He's a heel now, and these two are going to collide. Sullivan, not just the TV champion, now gunning for Tony Atlas's heavyweight title as well. Yeah, and um, as I was mentioning earlier, he's going to become little Tony Atlas when he gets involved <laughs> in bodybuilding. You got that right. You ain't kidding. Little Tony Atlas, indeed. 
Uh, so we go on. There's another matchup scheduled for the Omni card, the Christmas night card. And that includes Mr. Wrestling 2 taking on Mr. Saito in a judo jacket match. And right now we're going to go and listen to Mr. Wrestling number two. He's mine. And I told everybody time and time again, he is mine and I'm going to prove it to everyone. And as far as the stomper is concerned, sir, the stomper, you claim to have bad inner ear problems? Tonight, Marietta will find out. Marietta, you people out there in Marietta, you come on down because I'm going to see if I can't cure his inner ear problems. I will plant a knee on you, sir. We'll knock the wax or the garbage out of your ears so you can hear, so that'll get rid of all that problems you got in your head. And of course, Thursday night, you've got Mr. Saito at the Omni. The Omni Thursday night judo jacket match. It's my night! All right, so that's another interesting one. The, the gimmick is they, they come to the ring wearing uh, basically karate-type gis, and you can use those gis throughout the match, kind of throw your opponent, use it against them, or use it to your advantage. But but you know what? Wrestling 2 and that that white gi looked like it was more like a smoky jacket. I was expecting him to be uh, you know smoking a heater out there while he's <laughs> yeah, giving his interview. They definitely went down to, uh, you know, Kmart or something, <laughs> just picked up something off the rack. No doubt about it. Where's the gi? That's what happened. They got there, and so, somebody's got to make the run. <laughs> and that's what we end up with. But, hey, don't ruin it for me, damn it. <laughs> so uh, we get to the Freebirds time on the show. Michael Hayes teasing he's going to get in the ring. Hayes talks a big game and says he will finally get in the ring one-on-one here against Ted DiBiase. Wow, what a match that'll be. And to the ring we go. But just as the match gets going, Michael Hayes, he backs out, sends Terry Gordy into the match instead. You coward, but I can't really complain. We're getting Gordy and DiBiase on free TV here. And it is Ted DiBiase taking on Terry Gordy. And it's fun while it lasts. But it ends in a double DQ when Michael Hayes interferes, gets thrown in the ring, and Robert Fuller rushes in to even the odds. It's two on two for a brief moment, but not long before Buddy Roberts joins in for a Freebirds three on two, posting Robert Fuller on the outside and triple teaming poor Ted DiBiase. That is until Stan Frazier, the plowboy out, to make the save for his guys, but he gets triple teamed as well in a stuffed pile driver on the, what would you say, 450, 500 pounds? I don't oh. even know. He's so tall, it's deceiving how big he must really be. But a stuffed pile driver. I can't believe he agreed to even take this move from the Freebirds. Well, think about how strong Gordy has to be. Had to be. be. Oh, yeah. I mean, even if Frazier is helping to get up into that position. Right. Just to hold on to Frazier. I mean, you do have Gordy and, I mean, Buddy and Hayes helping. But it's still, Gordy's the one supporting all that weight. Yeah, and uh, that that footage is out there, guys. Go check it out. And I, I don't know if I put that yet on my YouTube channel, but you can expect that angle, that matchup. I know I posted the ending of the match and the angle on Twitter and Facebook. Maybe I'll push the whole match up there on uh, YouTube before too long. But it's crazy to see Terry Gordy with the assistance of Hayes and Roberts delivering mm-hmm. a spike pile driver to Stan Frazier. Uncle Elmer going up for a pile driver. Unbelievable. Injuring his collarbone and neck. In the process, or at least that's how the story goes, Frazier apparently out on the apron, and he is being attended to as we head into a commercial break. So his future is certainly in question, or so it would seem. But sometime later on the program, we get a promo from Robert Fuller and Ted DiBiase, who still have the Freebirds on their mind. Upcoming at the Atlanta Omni, 
Of course, we have a six-man elimination match scheduled for the show. There's an interview with DiBiase before that match where he talks about his how familiar he is with the Freebirds, and he's been through wars with them already. Right, yeah, he, he does, you're right. He does acknowledge his past history with the Birds. Of course, DiBiase was in Mid-South at the same time as the Freebirds were, so uh, very, very good point there. And this is about the time also, it's the story goes that Watts sent DiBiase to Georgia so he could get prepped for a possible NWA World, uh, title, world run. title run, right? which somebody named Dustin Rhodes quickly gets involved with. Yeah, and puts the kibosh we get, on that. We get to that when Dusty returns. Yeah, a lot of people I've heard over the years, I've seen it posted online, why did DiBiase randomly show up in Georgia? And that was really, like you said, that was the reason, was they were kind of grooming him for a potential NWA world title run by getting him on national TV, putting him out there on TBS. Yeah, and as we get into 81, you can see the development of Ted DiBiase up to the point where, you know, it wasn't totally out of the question that he could be the next NWA champion. Right. So it appears we won't see Frazier on Fuller and DiBiase's team at this point, or will we? And uh, so we definitely have a, uh, a problem here uh, with Stan Frazier, a man who seemed uh, uh, possibly impervious to injury, uh, has unquestionably been hurt. I don't know how badly. Uh, certainly we'll try and find out and bring the information on that as quickly as we can. Robert Fuller and Ted DiBiase to join me. What's the update on uh, Stan Frazier? Well, he's got some collarbone problems, possibly even a strain in his neck. It jammed him down real good with 400 pounds. Well, there he comes to some people's surprise right now. I'm sure he has some comments to make himself. I just want you to do me one favor, Robert. I want Michael Hayes by myself. Look at my head, my neck, my collarbone. I don't know the extent of the injuries now. But Michael Hayes, Thursday night, I'm going to be there. You got my word on it, I'm going to be there. You are dead, dead, dead. You know, Gordon, uh, we didn't count on Stan coming out here and being with us right now. And, and like he's just said, he's planning on being with us Christmas night. And I know that he's going to be there. And, and Robert and I are still not too sure. As a matter of fact, I'm sure you can tell by looking at him, the man is definitely still hurt. But I'd say it takes a heck of a guy and an awful lot of heart to come back out here and say, people are going to pay you know, regardless of what, what comes down, that he's going to be with us. We'll all be there. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We'll be back. All right. And there it was a promo. Stan Frazier returns and he promises Michael Hayes that he is dead, dead, dead. Stan Frazier <laughs> promises to be in the complete, Omni on Christmas night. Complete with the neck brace with food on it. You, you call it a neck. It looked like a towel to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, uh, that's when he returns. He has the neck brace. But yeah. you're right. You're he has a towel on here. And I don't know if he has a mat burn on his head or if he, he tried to gig himself from that pile driver, but he shows it <laughs> off. He's really proud of it. He had to point to it during this oh, promo yeah. as well. But I love the, this promo for Stan Frazier. Probably the only thing I, I enjoyed uh, for his brief run here in Georgia. But uh, it's definitely a fun promo here. And speaking of promos, I'm going to throw it to another one now. They find out that Frazier is not out. He will be there Christmas night. I'm talking about the Freebirds. Here's what they have to say. 
I'll tell you something, it's a shame when people can't heed advice. It's a shame when people don't listen to a warning that's heated towards them. And that's just what's happened. Let me tell you something, man. The elimination is already started because nobody comes messing with us. We're not like other wrestlers come out here bragging and boasting just because they're on TV. When we say something, we carry it out. And there were three, and now there were two. Well, and there ain't but one thing left to do. Well, let me tell you something right now, then, what? if I may, Mr. Hayes. First of all, I've been in contact with promoter Paul Jones, and he has already decided this fact, that in an elimination tag team match, if you ended up being the last man in the ring, that you obviously wouldn't stay in the ring. Why not? Well, it's obvious by what you've done on television and everything else that you're not the kind to stay in a ring. Now, I've asked Ron West also to talk to uh, Mr. Paul Jones, and uh, I expect to hear from him momentarily regarding... Wait, wait, excuse me, Gordon. I just got through talking to Mr. Paul Jones, and these are the list of the names that will be the Lumberjacks. Lumberjacks? What for? What do we need Lumberjacks for? Hey, listen, if you're work. If you're worried about us getting a hold of them and, and not beating them severely enough to where they can run out of the ring, then we'd need them. But I guarantee you that we'll beat them so bad they won't be able to run out of the ring. Well, I'll tell you what. Thursday night at the Omni in Atlanta, in the six-man elimination match, the Freebirds going up against Frazier, DiBiase, and Robert Fuller. These are the lumberjacks that'll surround the ring. Steve Kern, Steve O, Terry Taylor, Joe LaDuke. Tony Atlas, Jerry Roberts, Jerry Briscoe, and Tom Stent. Hey, I told you, don't push us. Christmas will not come because we're going to get Fuller and DiBiase because Frazier's gone. All right, right there, Michael Hayes learning that the stipulation has been added to their elimination match. Should Hayes be the final Freebird because he's not trusted to stay in the ring, Jamie, seven Lumberjacks will be added to ringside. And upon those names you just heard, six baby faces and Joe LaDuke. Wow, Joe LaDuke. Hayes must have been shitting his pants. <laughs> I don't think he was worried as long as he had Gordy standing in front of him. But yeah, oh my God. And uh, it's, it turns out to be a hell of a fun matchup. Uh, we're going to go on. We're going to get to the Omni in Atlanta. But first, we're going to make a stop December 21st in Marietta, Georgia at the Cobb County Civic Coliseum. It's Steve Kern over Kevin Sullivan, Mongolian Stomper. Goes to a double DQ with Mr. Wrestling number two. And we have an upcoming three-on-two handicap match here in Marietta between the Freebirds, Robert Fuller, and Stan Frazier. Three-on-two here, and we're going to hear from both sides. How three of the uh, Freebirds a pile drive a Stan Frazier. Now, Stan is seven feet tall, weighs about 450 pounds, and it's going to take a lot more than the Freebirds to put him down. That's right, Gordon. I went to the doctor, and I got a shot of cortisone in my neck, and I'm ready. Freebirds, I'm coming after you. You know what I'm going to do to you, so you might as well get ready. I'm coming after you, boys. You know I'm when I come after something, I'm coming strong. So I, I can, the I, tag team championship are going to be ours, mine and Robert Fuller's. That's right, Gordon. You know how the man feels. He's got certain reason to feel that way. You take 400 pounds and lift it up off the mat and drive it down on a neck. 
There ain't no neck in the world that can stand it. This was done purposely to hurt Stan Frazier, and it's the type of thing in professional wrestling that you do not need. You go out there to win belts, but certainly not to go out there and drop somebody on their neck and put them out of the profession for a lifetime. And something is going to be done about it tonight in Marietta because we challenge them handicap rules. That's two against three because we don't feel like Michelle is half a man anyway. So we feel like we can just come over to Marietta, take those belts away from all three of you as easy as Michelle standing on the outside and making those trip decisions for you. You're going to be in there tonight, little boy, and we're going to be taking care of your two men. And don't forget Thursday at the Omni. I mean, Michael is... Uh... That's Michael, and get it right, Gordon Sully. I'll tell you something. Last week we came out here, and I stated that all my life, all his life, and all his life, what we wanted and strive for was to be national figures, national prominent figures. When you mentioned Farrah Fawcett, Paul Newman, or somebody like that, along with the same line, you mentioned the fabulous Freebirds, and that's what we are now. And when you get to the top, it's a lot harder to stay up there than it is to climb there because you have bureaucracy and conspiracies against you. And that's just what we're fighting. That's between Paul Jones, Robert Fuller, Ted DiBiase, and that big fat Frazier. Now, I thought, and we all thought, that the pile driver would take care of him. Obviously, for maybe the first time in our life, we were wrong because he's seven feet and he's 450 pounds, and he withstood it. But let me tell you something, man. We will fight till the last day. I will fight till I die to keep these belts. Because nobody, and I mean nobody, is going to push me around. And you want to call me Michelle? You want to call me a sissy? Let me ask you something, baby. What are you? What are you? Because we beat you and leave you laying in the ring every night. And if we're sissies and we're a bunch of tramps, then just what do you think you are, huh? Can you answer that? No, nobody can answer that. Well, I'll tell you, I got an answer for you. Thursday night in the Omni, we're going to collect $10,000 a piece, and we're going to have a nice Christmas. But Christmas is going to end for a lot of people, and it's going to start tonight in Marietta, because you got all three of us in the ring at the same time against two people, and actually it's one, because, Frazier, you're hurt. We didn't get your neck like we wanted to, but let me tell you something, baby. You want Michael Hayes, you're going to get all 240 pounds of them tonight upside of your neck, because I'm not through. I just started to do what I wanted to do. Get it! Alright, so we get to the matchup here. In Marietta, it was supposed to be all three Freebirds taking on Fuller and Frazier, but they don't think Frazier's going to be ready in time, and he's not. So, the Freebirds think they have this one won. Three on one. DiBiase's not scheduled for the show. So, what happens? Well, in a match that was originally slated to be Fuller and Frazier versus all three Freebirds, with Frazier now out, at least for this show, and DiBiase just not here at all. Robert Fuller has to team with Steve O. But to send the fans home happy, it's Fuller and O defeating the team of all three Freebirds, albeit on a disqualification here in Marietta. And step two of the Steve O push. It is indeed. That's an interesting choice of a name to use as, uh, I don't want to call him filler, but he's filling in for Stan Frazier. And, and that's move, a lot of man to fill in for. That is a lot of man. It takes a couple guys to fill in for Stan Frazier, I'd have to think. But we move on, and it is Christmas night, December 25th, 1980, at the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia, on the undercard. Steve-O defeating Tom Stanton. Terry Taylor over Alexis Smirnoff. Now, I've also seen Alexis Smirnoff over Terry Taylor. I've seen it both ways, so I'm not really sure which one's correct. But I'd have to think maybe Smirnoff got the win, because this is his return matchup. Although, I don't know. Terry Taylor is on the way out, so... If I had to guess, I think it's Smirnoff over Taylor. 
Right, because Smirnoff's coming back. He was just in like during the summertime with with Koloff as a tag team champ. He's coming back at this point. Also on the card, it's Steve Kern over the Assassin, Joe LaDuke defeating Jerry Briscoe. Wow. Also, Mr. Wrestling 2, we talked about this one, defeating Mr. Saito in a judo jacket match after stripping him of his jacket and landing a pair of million-dollar knee lifts. Wrestling 2 going to score the win, and Mr. Saito out of Georgia Championship Wrestling. Also on the card, Georgia heavyweight champion Tony Atlas defeating former friend Kevin Sullivan. This was a fun one. Sullivan using a foreign object, taking it out of his boot. But as he stands too close to the ropes, he doesn't realize Steve Kern, the man he robbed of the TV title, Kern arrives ringside and pulls the object out of Sullivan's boot. So when Sullivan reaches back down to use it again, he realizes it's gone. He looks over and sees Steve Kern holding it at ringside. The distraction allows Tony Atlas for the schoolboy roll-up to retain the title. Right, and this takes Kern-Sullivan part two because they're going to go at it pretty hot and heavy for a couple months now. Yeah, and when I read that on paper, I'm not really into it, man, but they do everything in the world here on TV to keep me interested. And it's some really good stuff between Sullivan and Kern. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to how that feud ends because it does end definitively. Right. Also in the Omni, it was national heavyweight champion, the Mongolian Stomper, defeating Jack Briscoe in a return match. And in the main event, Ted DiBiase, Robert Fuller, and Stan Frazier defeating the national tag team champions, the Freebirds, in an elimination lumberjack match. Now also on the card... We had a two-ring battle royal. Co-winners Robert Fuller and Ted DiBiase. This footage is actually out there. They talk about it on TV, and we see clips and highlights from this one. Fuller and DiBiase win ring number one. It's Gordy and Roberts winning ring number two, and somehow it turns into a tag team matchup. From there, the overall winners are Fuller and DiBiase. After Stan Fraser shows up, in fact, he never left ringside, eliminated from the battle royal but never left ringside hiding, how do you hide a 500-pound man? Stan Frazier, though, tripping up Buddy Roberts from the outside, allowing Fuller and DiBiase to score the win. Co-winners of the big two-ring battle royal here. So Frazier, Fuller, DiBiase getting the best of the Freebirds, not once but twice here, Christmas night. Or so it would seem, Jamie, because post-match, the Freebirds are at it again, attacking Stan Frazier once more. We saw it on TV with that triple pile driver. Well, they hold him down here. Gordy and Roberts do, while Michael Hayes comes off the middle rope with a steel chair right into the throat of the plowboy, Stan Frazier. And we learn on the following week TV that Frazier has compressed discs and now a larynx injury as well. No more plowboy for at least a month. He probably had to go home and tend to the farm at this point. Yeah, that could could be it. Very well could be it. And uh, we're going to close out things here this week, guys, on regional wrestling before we head into 1981. We're going to look at one final piece of TV here. That's December 27th television. And we're going to go back in time to Christmas night. We're going to hear from Robert Fuller and Ted DiBiase as they talk all about their match with the fabulous Freebirds. Gordon, uh, he came out there to, to aid us, to help us. And, and what can you say? Well, gentlemen, first of all, I think I can fully understand how the two of you must feel about this. Stan Frazier, of course, I said had already suffered a compression of the discs and uh, uh, the back of the neck now has suffered uh, some larynx injury uh, to the throat itself. How soon he'll be returning, we just don't know. But I don't think that either one of you should hold yourself to blame for what happened here. It was obvious after we looked at it, you couldn't see what happened. Well, Gordon, we took our checks and we both tried to stuff them in Stan's pocket. They said, take them back out. We're going to have to take him to the 
hospital, and it was just a terrible moment for us at that point. But uh, Stan's got some extensive hospital bills, and we're gonna we're gonna take care of those for him. And that money's going three ways. We love old Stan, and we appreciate what he did for us more than you can imagine. And we just hope he's gonna be all right. I couldn't have said it any finer. There you have it. Uh, the situation with Stan Frazier. Hopefully, he'll be back in action as quickly as possible. Uh, but he's not going away empty-handed. Uh, that's quite obvious. Uh, but there is a true, true friendship between Ted DiBiase, Robert Fuller, and Stan Frazier. That's our profile for this week. All right, we heard from one side of things. Now we turn things over to Gordon Soley once more. This time he's talking to the other side. It's Michael Hayes and company going to tell their version of what happened on Christmas night. On this beautiful face. Beautiful. Listen, you know something? I'm surprised that finally for once, one of these films, these tape backs, showed the truth that Robert Fuller and Ted DiBiase lied. They let greed overtake their mind, and they left that fat hog for slaughtering, which is just what we did, and we finished them off for good. Because I never have to worry about that. I trust my life with these men. I don't have to worry. But where was the VTR of the six-man elimination? Where I put the big fat man out myself first. And when it got down to it, and it was me and DiBiase. And I whooped him and beat him in the Omni. And all seven lumberjacks jumped on me. And I want to thank you for saving me. Because if you hadn't have been there, even Joe Duke got on me and I had to straighten him out later. But let me make a suggestion. The next time you wrestle us, get it together, baby. And get the ambulance there before the match. Save yourself some time. Because time is of the essence. And in the Omni, you will be in the same line as Stan Frazier was to the hospital. Because the belts mean more than Eddie. It's our bread and butter, nut nutter. All right, so clearly the feud going to go on. Plowboy Frazier is out of action for the time being. Ted DiBiase and Robert Fuller are going to move forward, probably for the best, to feud with the fabulous Freebirds into 1981. Yeah, but that line that Hayes uses of uh, Fuller and DiBiase left the fat hog to slaughter. <laughs> yeah, I got to get that in. Well, you could say whatever you wanted back then, and nobody got you know uh, their feelings hurt because they were making money. Uh, hand over fist, they were making money. And I actually really liked that team of Fuller and DiBiase. As did I. I, I thought it. I thought it meshed pretty damn well. I could see them running with the tag titles for a while there. Also on this episode of TV, we're going to hear from Mr. Wrestling too. I have the soundbite queued up. He's going to talk about his win over Mr. Saito and his aspirations for the national heavyweight title. In the area at the time, uh, one that stands out in my mind a little stronger than others, and that's the Stomper. You know, this man has uh, showed himself to be a, an extraordinary, uh, super strong person. And uh, he's uh, gone through different uh, uh, feats of strength and everything. You know, what? You know, strength is one thing, Gordon, but, you know, it takes a lot of... Uh, ability and a lot of talent and a lot of self-confidence within you to be good in the ring in wrestling and you know you can be as strong as you want but if you don't have that self-confidence which i think this is one thing that he lacks and the reason i say that is because he has a man standing by him his side at all times and he has to have instructions he has to have has to be told when to do things at certain times i'm not taking anything away from the man he's a big powerful individual i know this i'm not trying to tear him down but i would like to monkey with his his mind a little bit and i say this that he has a problem 
and I'm going to do my best to perhaps straighten it out when I have the opportunity. You know, he says, uh, they, they make comments about he has inner ear trouble. People holler and scream a little bit. It upsets him and bothers his head. Well, maybe Thursday night at the Omni, maybe they'll scream loud enough to disturb when you go up against him for that national heavyweight championship. I'm looking forward for the Omni myself because, Mr. Stomper, I'm going to do my best to cure your inner ear problem. You know, I have a knee that is well established and you, sir, are going to get the opportunity to feel that knee up upon your head and maybe I can rattle things in there well enough for you to where I will straighten up that problem you have, sir. Thank you. Well, thank you, Mr. Wrestling Number 2. All right, Wrestling 2 looking to take out the stomper and go for that national title here in the new year. That Wrestling 2 would take on anybody. He didn't care. He was a stubborn old man, and he was there to fight and win belts. You know, when Wrestling 2 turned heel in Mid-South, I mean, did he really turn heel? Well, he was a heel all along, kind of, right? He was a grumpy old man. (laughs) It's kind of like Jake Roberts. When Jake turned heel in 1991 WWF, the first thing he asked was, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but was I ever really a face? You you people cheered for me. I I never changed. And it was kind of like Wrestling 2. I mean, Presley, too, is still a grumpy old man when he goes to the WWF and uh, does a couple does jobs. Uh, well, yeah, he's doing jobs. But <laughs> when they uh, take over that 605 time slot. Right. If you remember in the beginning, they had some of their Georgia Town, Piper, JYD, and they had wrestling two on one of the shows yes. for two hours of Freddie Miller. And he was a cranky <laughs> old man during that. Yeah, it's uh, always fun. I-, I loved wrestling, too, though. He had some great feuds, especially with the Masked Superstar here in Georgia. Really good stuff. And uh, all the way to the end, as far as his high-profile stuff, he was always entertaining. Oh, yeah, I, I always enjoyed, too. And we're going to close out this edition. We're going to look at just a few matches here at the end of the year on a couple of house shows. And I'm mentioning these because they don't take place in the state of Georgia. Nope. Now they're up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, of all places, December 27th. Memorial Auditorium Chattanooga sees the Freebirds over the Briscoes and NWA World Champion Harley Race over Mr. Wrestling 2 on a pinfall. Again, stacking the box, trying to take over another town. The Birds and the Briscoes, Harley Race and Wrestling 2. I mean, you have to respect the Briscoes because they weren't afraid to put other people over. No, that's especially at this point in their career, but you're right. But uh, yeah. I mean, look at Jack doing the job for the stopper for the national title. Not once, but twice. He dropped the belt and right. lost the rematch on Christmas night. And he, even as you go on in time, he's still doing jobs. And it's just not Jerry doing jobs. Check those jobs. That's right. And uh, just going to look at one final house show here in the year of 1980, December 28th, Columbus, Ohio. So they're back up in Columbus for their second venture. Let's see what they got on the card this time. Robert Fuller on the undercard over Jody Hamilton, the assassin. The Freebirds defeating the Briscoes once again. Dusty Rhodes going to score a win over Ole Anderson in a bull rope match this time around. And the NWA world champion comes back to town. Harley Race going to go to a 60-minute draw with Tony Atlas. Harley earned his money that night. I mean, Atlas Atlas wasn't horrible, but I don't know if Atlas is your 60-minute man. No, and that's kind of funny. That's uh, something Roman uh, Roman Gomez mentioned when we were talking Mid-South. We were talking about Butch Reed doing a few draws with Ric Flair going 60 minutes. And he said, it's not like watching Tony Atlas do it, you know, and I have to agree. That's quite a big difference there because we were talking about guys that were maybe in line to try to replace the dog. And certainly Butch Reed, uh, probably a step up from Tony Atlas, I'd say, uh, if you're watching a 60-minute matchup, no doubt. 
I mean, Tony was over at this time, no doubt. I mean, the uh, the Omni match, uh, I don't know if it was the October one or the uh, December one. Atlas is bloodied, and that's one of the covers of the wrestling magazine. I have no doubt that Harley Race was capable of carrying the match, and Tony Atlas was able to go along with the match. He was in great shape at the time, and he really wasn't bad in the ring. He wasn't your technical wrestler that's going to go 60 minutes, so I'm sure there was some downtime in between, but uh, I have no doubt that the match was hot in periods, and it it was probably pretty solid, but again, probably not my number one pick uh, to go to a draw with Harley Race here, but still very cool to see Harley Race, or excuse me, see Tony Atlas getting this push, and that will continue his feud here with Harley Race for the NWA world title heading into the new year. Yeah, and this whole Georgia run for Tony Atlas is right between his two WWF runs. So once again, here's the Georgia WWF kind of like a marriage right. going on with talent going back and forth. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. Now, Tony, I, I forgot all about Tony being there right before he came back in. But of course, Tony does wind up there again in 1981 after his run here in Georgia. He just stays on top wherever he goes. He was a hell of a talent in the time period that, during his peak period, I should say. And uh, I just really enjoyed the stuff they're about to tell here between Harley Race and Tony Atlas, which we'll get into on our next episode when we kick off things with January 1981 in Georgia Championship Wrestling, Jamie. Oh, I can't wait. So I I hope you've had a fun time here. I don't know if you learned anything new. I did a lot of research, but I just wanted to get somebody that was watching at the time. I know you started watching Georgia somewhere here in 19, early 1981. So I'm glad to have you along for the ride, and I'm so thankful you were here to join me here as we set the stage and really get ready. Well, thank you for having me, because uh, as you said earlier on, I've been on several of uh, John McAdams' podcasts and always had a great time. Uh, Usually when I'm on air, we talk WWF, but this is great talking a a different federation for a change. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm kind of doing multitasking right now. I'm doing research for the Mid-South UWF in 86, as well as Georgia here in 81, and I'm having a blast doing it. And because I'm doing both, you know, and I'm also doing WWF 87, not counting the Monday Night Wars stuff that I do, but uh, doing two different territories at the same time, it helps me, you know, it keeps everything fresh because if I spend two days straight on Mid-South, I can kind of go back and study some more on Georgia or vice versa. So uh, you know, I, I just, I, I've been hitting everything I can. There's five different like fan magazines right now that covered this time period. And I'm going through all of them so that I can co- compare notes and everything and just give you guys the best Georgia 81 that I can. And who better to bring in than somebody that lived most of it in you, Jamie? Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, I had a great time. Uh, I love listening to the Mid-South podcast that you do with Roman Gomez. Roman's a great guy and he knows his Mid-South. He knows a lot of things, as do you, and I appreciate both of you guys coming on the show. In fact, I believe the next episode that drops here on Regional Wrestling will probably be another episode of the Mid-South Wrestling with Roman Gomez as we close out January of 1986. Going to talk about the Jake Roberts and Dick Slater feud and a whole lot more. Uh, but for now, Jamie, I just want to say I appreciate you so much for being on the show. Looking forward to having you back very soon, very, very soon, hopefully as we continue to talk Georgia, now that we're here. We're finally here, January 1st, 1981, and it all kicks off next time here on the Regional Wrestling Program. I'll be here along with you. I appreciate that. Yeah, the format's going to change a little bit, guys. We're going to start talking about everything on the TV, looking into some of the house shows and things like that. But for all intents and purposes, it's going to be somewhat similar to what you heard here today and a lot of promos coming up. But for those who love the promos, lots of sound bites coming your way 
from all of the stars of Georgia Championship Wrestling, Ole Anderson, Tony Atlas, Dustin Rhodes, baby, the Freebirds, Ted DiBiase, Kevin Sullivan, and beyond. Lots of good stuff coming your way next time here on Regional Wrestling. Okay, and I want to thank you again, Jamie, and I want to thank all of the loyal listeners of Regional Wrestling and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. We'll be back soon with more Georgia 1981, more Mid-South 86. Till then, you can follow me, Ray Russell, on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. And we'll be back soon with more Regional Wrestling, where we talk the territories. Talk the territories.